0: And welcome to the Rolling Ball, the Leicester Tigers fans podcast. Yes, eat that Papa Lamb. Have I dealt with that impartially enough, Elliot?
1: I don't think uh, nearly enough. I think we need to we need to pepper uh, this um, podcast with uh, skewered lamb references. So uh, we just need to just basically give him shit all the way through the. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Did, why
0: not? Why not? It's some fun. some people say we should let it go. I enjoy a vendetta, personally. I can't shout as loud as I want to because the kids are in bed. So, yeah. But, you know, I'm sure we'll manage to sneak in a few. Don't lie, Pat! You're lying, Pat! And he did it again. He was at it again last week. Well, uh, and I can't believe I'm about to say this. I'm about to jump to his defence. So I think what you're referring to, Elliot, is the Bristol Post article that said in great big headline letters, Ellis Genge to be denied chance against former club. Um, because, you know, he said... a. Hey, Pat Lamb had said, being the good papa that he is, that he wants to rest uh, Sinclair and Genji, which, to be fair, they've had a hell of a work rate, so it seems sensible enough. But then, uh, if you read down the article, so obviously Sinclair hadn't got the memo from Genji, so he's like, yeah, right, well, fair enough, I'll put my feet up. And Genji's come back in, and he's like, no, I want to get stuck in, which is very much on point with how you understand his mind works. And then it turned out, really, I think that basically the editor did Papa Lamb a naughty, because I think he said, yeah, he, he'll be in the squad. So. I'll defend him on that, but... No, nah, fuck it. What am I talking about? No, nah, he lied again. The Bristol Boris. <laughs> oh, political. Satire. It's not how i got news for you? Yeah, it is. Really sharp, edgy stuff. Um, anyway, well, it was a fantastic game. One of the best performances of the season at home against Bristol. Absolutely critical league win, which could spell wonders for our playoff push. 46-24 at home. And we were just talking before we hit record. You were there... Atmosphere sounded a little bit spicy, didn't it? It was it had, had a bit of edge about it, yeah. I,
1: I thought it was one, um, a good attendance, secondly, a real good um atmosphere as well. So, yeah, I thought and it, I was like, we were just saying off air, we sort of like these games now because there is a bit of a spice attached to them, I and mean, there's a bit of venom in the crowd in terms of trying to, you know, we just joked to say about putting one over Pat, Pat Lam, and I think quite a lot of other people as well after what happened a couple of years ago. They also like to. Go on, give it a bit of edge to it as well. So, no, it's good. It was good. And to be fair, I think from my experience with football, these half-twelve games are a bit of a... They can be a bit of a damp squib in terms of atmospheres. So I think it was good from our, from our lot to, to to turn up and um, get behind the boys. Well, this is
0: why, as much as... I need to specify this as well, because we have Pete Briley on for the uh, Bears Beyond the Gate, Gate podcast. He's a great bloke, really lovely guy. and Obviously, you will listen to their podcast. Some really good live sound. Obviously, I live in Bristol. Really good people. And I really love the rugby Bristol play some of the best to watch in the division when it when it works there are some really good players there who I really like and you know Bristol as a club I've got a lot of time for just a personal vendetta that I can't let go against Pat Lamp you saw he lives right free in your head damn right he does he owes me rent and he's not paying it so he absolutely does but I really enjoy this relationship we've got with Bristol now because you look you know the East Midlands Derby. You know that that's there. That's established. Saracens. Everyone hates Saracens. Blah blah. This is a nice personal vendetta that we've got. That it is unique to, to Leicester and Bristol now. And there's a real, I think, a really really good selling point for the game because you know if it's Leicester against Bristol before, you'd be like, that's no, just Leicester Bristol. But now, hey, like, oh look, you know the Bears come into town. This could be quite spicy um you were telling me before that what i got on the stream wasn't everything that was said there was a lot of chat there was a bit of uh argy Bargie that wasn't caught up freddie stewart giving it to Tau, uh giving him some good verbals and everything like that yeah that's the kind of stuff that is really really good to see they're almost like you know our opposite as well aren't they in terms of everything they they the, the style of rugby they play uh the fact that they are have got a rich benefactor and he's just pumped in a load of like a couple of world-class players in there you know some people that get that gets their back up i'm i'm pretty relaxed about it but it's almost the the i can't say his word. what's the word i'm looking for antithesis yeah the, it's, it's fire and ice isn't it, it yeah it, we, it, it, it's it, the opposite to us yeah
1: i i, I agree I, I you know i personally find it funny to to have a bit of a laugh and a joke and stick the boot into pat Lamb. i don't particularly to me after the, the the two wins last year to me the pat Lamb thing was done it, it was you know it was Done and dusted. Brush it under the yeah, carpet. Yeah, yeah. But I quite enjoy the fact that quite a lot of people still have a bit of niggle. And I do like last year the, the the video that the club did before the um the home game um against Bristol last year when they did a bit of a montage of that incident. And they had a bit of uh, they said it to some the music from um, Pulp Fiction and stuff like that. So I, I really like stuff like that where it has become. I think there is a bit of history to the fixture. And I, it, as I say, it, cre- if it creates a bit of a rivalry, or it creates a bit of a bit of an atmosphere around the game. I'm, I'm all for. I'm all for it, because uh, I think it brings out the best of the players, and I think it brings out the best of the fans as well. So, no, it was good. Um, no, no it was, Saturday was great in terms of we were saying as well. Um, whilst that big scrap at the end, which was fantastic, actually, let's not kid ourselves It was a proper scrap. That was good fun. That. Mm. Um, Obviously, the stream unfortunately finishes right when it started getting tasty, which is a bit of a shame because they, they wanted to say it was a proper good scrap. What I loved about it was that from the crowd reaction, where the whole crowd went in at the end, of a, it was like a defiant, the tiger's chant goes up, but it was like a bit of an edge to it and it's a bit defiant. And it was felt like the crowd, like,
0: let's yeah. fucking get this
1: getting with of yeah, you. It. You're, it's,
0: you're it's... always trying to throw the word tigers like a little right hook, aren't you? You're trying yeah. to throw the word in there. I know what you mean. There's a few times when it kind of comes up and it's usually when, you know, the blood's up a little bit, you're feeling a little bit angry about something. I, that's when I really like Waffled Road, Dan. it feels a bit nasty on the terrace. It's good.
1: Yeah, it's like when you're punching the air when you say it, and you go, Dah! this is basically this is awful podcasting because you can't see this. <laughs> it's because this is an audio thing. Uh, Elliot's, not video. Elliot's
0: windmilling into his microphone right
1: <laughs> well, like now. But this, this <laughs> is it's like when you're at the football, and it's like it's, when the, the Come On Leicester chant comes up, but it's like a corner, and you're trying to suck the ball into the net, and there's a bit of extra venom to it, and you punch the air when you're saying it. That was what it was like. The whole terrace was like punching the air, shouting tigers. Yeah. I really like when it gets a bit the, the, only pro- the only
0: problem I've got with that reference is that, obviously, given Leicester City, most of the time I'm trying to it's the opposition corner, and I'm trying to blow the ball out of our net, given how we but, defend set pieces. <laughs> I'm still thinking of Filbert Street days when we, the cop
1: did used to was the extra was the extra man to get the ball over the line, um, and we did have the ability to, to do that at Filbert Street. But yeah, is it to me as a sort of a, a bit of a fan nerd? I quite like it when the crowd is up like that and there's a bit of edge in the crowd and the crowd is go on, let's have a bit more to it. Before we get cracking, mate, good weekend. Yeah, really good actually. Uh Saturday was um was actually a good day of going around some of the old haunts of Leicester I used to frequent. So uh breakfast on Kel's Cafe on Hickley Road, which is well worth um a visit if you're ever uh needing somewhere for some food on a on a merch day. Um so that was good. Went to the Western, oh it's the um an old-fashioned pub on the Western Road, um, which is good fun. And then went to the game and saw Sawpoint afterwards as well. So it was a bit of a tour of some of the old haunts, which was which was good. And then today, we were doing this on Sunday, so I went to the Bradkate at Newtown Lingford for a, a really nice Sunday lunch. So, uh, yeah, can't complain.
0: Yeah, I also went for a Sunday lunch today, which is actually why, if we sound a little bit, I don't know, languid, more cheerful or slightly slurring, that's because I think both of us are about three pints deep having gone out for Sunday lunch, which, you know, is always a bit of a risk when you've got two young kids. We went to the Moorfields in Oldfield, which is just sort of on the outskirts of Bath. Um, and it turns out whenever I go into Bath, Bath seemed to win games, uh, which has ended up being very, very helpful for us because they beat Exeter today. So, you know, you're welcome. But but you've made the very good point that I shouldn't go in when we're playing Tigers. I shouldn't attend any Bath v. Tigers games. Well, absolutely. And it, so what we need to do is bring out
1: Agent Cooper. So whenever um Bath are playing one of our rivals and we need to like Bath to win for us. We need you to um to go to the game and Oh no, uh, I don't be- even
0: need to go to the game. That's a good thing. I just need to sort of like frequent around sort of like the local area. I mean I assume i probably got to pump money in given this, but we had quite a traumatic train journey back unfortunately. My my son, who's who's three, he's was very attached to a specific water bottle. You know, what kids get about stuff. He put a lot of dinosaur stickers on it. And we went to get the train back, which was a big treat for him, and he dropped it down the side uh, we could get it, and he, he struggles with his speech and language. So one of the first words he learned, he tried to say water, but he, he's not corrected this. He still calls it do dare, and which is is weird, but it's kind of cute. We quite like it. So we have occasionally had this sort of sad noise coming from his bedroom. We're going do dare, where's do dare? We're like, oh god, no, it's gone, mate. So we had to go back and redecorate another water bottle with uh, dinosaur stickers. Which you know, I'm not going to lie, I quite enjoyed. But you know that's the lesson of um, you know life and loss that has been taught today. I do. I,
1: I do know of an old colleague of mine whose child lost a, um, a toy bunny rabbit or something. However, they didn't know if it was lost. However, they worked out the parents worked out that the, the, the bunny rabbit had gone. So a um, a shopping trip was hastily arranged. To go and um, get a replacement bunny rabbit, and thankfully they were able to to get it. It was one of those sort of like generic ones which you can get, and they got one that was exactly the same. Um, they managed to tough it up a little bit, so it looked quite as, almost as bedraggled as the old one, <laughs> and um, managed to replace it without the child knowing that it was um, that it was lost. So it was operation calmness. Um, he, operation keep the peace. Yeah, Obviously, go- your situation is slightly different because your boy
0: literally dropped it down the side of the train he saw he 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 saw it disappear that's the trauma that's going to live with him you know if you know i don't know if anything happens later on in life that means that he has to write an autobiography this will come up in the trauma section of it effectively
1: you probably need to write a note for any sort of future therapy sessions that he may need just Mm -hmm. as a sort of a like a trigger point to say this is what happened
0: yeah don't mention red spotty water bottles because it'll just set him off yeah good Yeah, yeah anyway uh lovely little podcast we've got obviously we get to brag about leicester tigers beating bristol which is always fun we're also going to preview the game against edinburgh with uh, my good friend uh and the author of the casual scottish rugby podcast ian naylor is going to be joining us he holds one of the unique positions of being both a massive edinburgh and leicester tigers fan having grown up in leicester but hailing from the north so he's got quite a unique perspective hopefully on friday's game aside from that Thank you, everyone, who got in touch for uh, and told us how much they enjoyed uh, us having Neil back on last week. Not as much as we enjoyed it, I can tell you that. Uh, we've also had a review, haven't we, Elliot? Yeah, so, uh, a rather nice one as well from
1: Swansong456, um, who says, um, my weekly fix of all things Tigers, even more important now as I'm missing the climax of the season while visiting family in New Zealand. Well, I am very jealous that you are in New Zealand because that is a place I really want to uh, to go and visit, and see a bit of the world in. Um, however, it is a shame that you're going to miss the, uh, the running into the season. So hopefully we can be your accompaniment and friends to the uh, to the running the rest of the season for you.
0: Indeed, absolutely. Uh, and if you would like to leave us a rating, please do so on Apple or Spotify. It really means a lot to us. Uh, it's a labour of love. A long long labor of love but it's something that we really enjoy and it's really good to know that you guys uh, are on board with us uh only other things for me very boring same old shit uh i'm running 15 kilometer basically a piss poor will findley 15 kilometer tough mudder that i'm running uh in aid of the Forehead foundation raising money for ed slater and the motor Neuron disease research uh, so you can find that as a pinned tweet for us uh there's just giving page you can search uh, just giving michael google rolling Hall, and you should be able to find it from there if you can donate anything for that that would mean a huge amount for me as i put myself through barbed wire uh and electrical fence and cold water and just basically have to beat dad bod um repeatedly over a muddy track and also uh we have been nominated as well for the sports podcast awards in the team best team podcast section so if you can sign up and vote that would be amazing we'll put out a tweet uh, underneath the one that publicizes this as well so you can get on board and vote there and if you want to get in touch with us, please do so using our email address, therollingmall at outlet.com, and our Twitter handle, at Pod. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roaches, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting, and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans. And St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGMALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGMALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. Right, let's hit the beep, beep 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 news section, and shall we start with some amazing news uh, for the Leicester Tigers women's team? Elliot, take it away.
1: Well, first bit of silverware. You know, we're only a year into this adventure with a women's team, and we've already got silverware on the board, which is fantastic. They, um, in in a sad way, because I think I'm sure they've all preferred to have done it on the pitch. Um, obviously, with Barnsley uh, pulling out because they couldn't get a team together, um, they Tigers got the win by default, and, and the win took them to uh, the Championship North uh, winners, which is fantastic for the for the group, for the players, for the coaches, and for the club as well. You know, as we said, no one really knew at the start of this what was going to happen. I think they've blown us all away with not just the fact of the results in terms of um, the wins but the manner of the wins as well in terms of like the points differences, the defense, you know, everything which they've done has been amazing. So look, congratulations to Vicky and all the team and associated with that. You know, there's a fair amount of stuff that goes on behind the scenes in terms of like the coaching stuff, backroom stuff, and, you know, the admin and logistics that the club put on to make the group, to help the group and get them to be as good as they can be. And to the players as well, you know, they've absolutely smashed it. And I bet they're all looking forward really to, to next year and, um, testing themselves at a higher level and see how they get on.
0: Can I be completely honest? Go when for it. they announced the Leicester women's team and how it was going to work with Litchfield and work in this division, I thought that they would do well. Okay, I don't think they'd win it. Mm. I thought that they're coming up against experienced women's teams. The way it was talked about being set up, yes, there was you know some experienced players from Litchfield going in, but they're you know almost open trials, bit of recruitment. I was like, you know, that's bringing a lot of people from a lot of different standards and backgrounds together. That's going to take a little while to gel. I'm sure that I was sure they'd get there. I had no idea that they'd do it like this in this season. And to be frankly, far too good for the league Mm. is absolute testament to, to Vicky, her coaching team and, and all the ladies involved. That's absolutely fucking phenomenal. What an achievement. Um, Like, you know, we didn't have a women's team, they like say, barely a year ago. And to have this already, uh, so, so proud. I just already can't wait to sort of see you guys get stuck into the uh, into the big lease next year.
1: Yeah, I know. I did. Reading the programme notes from the weekend, Andrew said that 4,500 um, have kept a season ticket on for the women's team as well, which is great in terms of, one, the monetary value that goes into help supporting that programme. But also if we can get, you know, as many of us as possible, I know... Everyone has time commitments. Everyone has different things going on. But you know, if we can get the crowds um, to a healthy level as well, um, it'd be really good. It's just it, to me, the whole women's side at Leicester is, is such a nice, positive journey, and it's like it's great just to see them. To sort of, it's all new. This is. <laughs> I mean, they're they're creating their own history as they go along, which I think is, which is amazing. They are the, the trailblazers for for that uh, for that team, and everyone else mm. now that follows has to lift up to, to what they create.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they could set up their own ABC club. And it's like, we're, we're the members, we're the originals. Who the fuck are you? Gap, you know, start a really brutal initiation process. Yes, I like it. Excellent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is it. They are setting a standard now for every women's team that, that comes through Leicester to follow. And that's exciting in itself. That's amazing.
0: That's really cool. Uh, let's go on something from really cool to something that was really confusing, but entirely expected. Uh, Freddie Stewart, uh, as you might have noticed if you're watching the game or something, was free to play because he had his red card uh, rescinded. It was never a red card. We said it was never a red card. Uh, I'm extremely confused by the judgment, uh, which said it was still foul play and made it a yellow card. You and I both agree, obviously, it wasn't a red card. I I I disagree with you slightly in that I felt it could only be argued as being either a red card, which I didn't think it was, or nothing at all, I thought it was quite hard to say it was something in between on the framework. Do you, do you get where I'm coming from with that? Yeah, I, I get. I get it.
1: I to me, when I read the the wording of what an accidental collision and a reckless collision was, it blurred some of the lines of 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 that, and so hence why I could, I felt you could come out with a penalty kick because it blurred some of the language so it wasn't it wasn't totally reckless but if 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 you think there's five or six bullet points under reckless and five or six bullet points under accidental it probably had
0: four from accidental and two from reckless oh you see this this is where it gets me because i could be wrong and if there are any criminal barristers or lawyers listening but i cast my mind back to criminal training i'm not a criminal lawyer i'm a commercial lawyer but i cast my mind back to criminal law training so i just say cast my mind back to criminal training that sounds like something entirely different but um criminal law training you, you talk about your culpability for doing something and you talk about your your men's rare your your intent effectively what is how the americans would describe it and you can actually obviously if you murder someone you try to shoot them you're trying to at least cause them grievous bodily harm and you kill them that's clear intent but you can also effectively be charged with murder if you're reckless And there's no real sliding scale of recklessness in criminal law, as far as I can remember. You're either reckless or you're not. And what recklessness is, is basically you know that there's a risk, but you do it anyway. Effectively, because you you have complete disregard for the risk, but you know the risk exists. Now, that is separate to carelessness, which is generally part of the tort of negligence, for example which is where you're not aware of the risk. Perhaps you should be aware of the risk, risk, but you're not. So you've got carelessness and you've got recklessness. And this judgment talks about, oh, we think Freddie Stewart was reckless, but not highly reckless. And it's like, What What do you mean reckless or highly reckless? You're either reckless or you're not. It was like perhaps they're trying to say he was careless, but he wasn't reckless. Well, fine, I could argue that. But then you go into the wording, and this is what Nigel Owens was going on to, and I disagreed with a fair bit of what Nigel Owens said, because he was saying, oh, you know, he turned his shoulder... And I said, "Yeah, he's not just going to stand there and let someone crash into his rib cage, is he?" But which is insane. Uh, but he did make the good point. And say, well, if you've decided he's reckless and it's foul play, then under the guidelines, you're struggling to apply mitigation because the rule is say, if you're if you're reckless, then you know, sorry, when you don't get any mitigation. So it seemed to me, and I think you and I did both agree with this on that this was very much a bit of a fudge. Perhaps it was to say, look, um, y- Yakko Paper, you know, kind of he was on the right lines. You know, we're not throwing under the bus, you know, like g- good man. And they even put in a line, didn't they say he's got to make decisions in the heat of the moment. But they all clearly knew it wasn't a red card and they rode back from that. So they've not thrown the officials under the bus, but the right thing has been done in the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as me and you said last week, under the laws, as they are written, you only got a red card if you have misapplied the laws. You know, that that is the nuts and bolts of it. That's the only way you can get to a red card. So he judged it was foul play, he judged it was a tackle. Therefore, under the protocol, he had to see he had to end up with a red. The problem is he, he should by doing so, he's misapplied the law. Like you have me and you have said, you could make under the laws as they're written, it's it's a fairly open and shut case to get the red card rescinded because it's very clear but it shouldn't be a red card. And what you but what you could do. As a referee, in my opinion, you could make you could justify when you do your referee appraisal at the end of this, after the end of the game, you could have justified play on under the laws. You could have justified a penalty kick under the laws, and you could have justified a yellow card under the laws. Now, you may as fans, we may not agree with them, but all three of those outcomes are very justifiable under the laws as they are written, because it's quite clear what he couldn't justify was the red card, which was what given. So therefore, it's of no surprise to anyone, and this is what I mean, you. We both just went well it's it's an easy see, it's see, an easy rescinding it's just a case of what do they do in terms of obviously don't want to throw the referee under the bus yeah, yeah and, and yeah. you know clearly world rugby a confectioner's because uh, a load of fudge was created but hey ho!
0: <laughs> very good uh yeah see I, that's why i disagree though because i don't think you can justify a penalty kick or a yellow card I think that your your whole argument comes down to is it foul play or not? And I w- would agree that he misapplied the laws. I'd say he can try and justify giving a red card, but you'd still be able to rescind it by saying, no, factually, it's not. But I, I can't see under the laws how he can get a yellow card or a penalty kit, which is why I think by saying it's a yellow card, they give a degree of protection by, to people saying, oh, he just got it slightly wrong, didn't he? He was, he was on the right lines, though, but still... Uh, you know kind of the right thing is done in the end so it's a is a really strange one I, I did laugh when I saw the line say you know we do recognize officials have to make decisions at the heat of the moment like Freddie Stewart made a reaction in point three of a second and we haven't heard any reference to that or empathy for that so it's a load of horseshit the language needs tidying up as I said it's really confusing um, that is the only good thing actually just to finish this off that's the only good thing
1: that could come out of this incident it does feel like a bit of a watershed moment for rugby just in terms of distinguishing between... I think actually rugby's on a pretty good journey over the last five years in terms of the headshots and the high tackles. And most people now, if you think about it, vast majority of fans, me and you are very much in this, of we don't like high tackles, we want to bring the tackle height down and we don't have an issue with too many of the red cards that are given because they're there for a reason to, to bring the tackle height down and make the game safer. The rugby's done actually a pretty good job in getting people to to buy into that. And so you don't really have much, apart from the lunatics, questioning it. What we do have to have is the is the, you know, the empathy of this is a contact sport. It's a hard sport. It's a dangerous sport, and stuff like this does happen. And I think this is a it's a good thing. It's almost like a seminal moment for the game just to go right. We need to distinguish between these sort of things where it's not dangerous. It's not. It's a rugby incident. Let's go with that, right? So hopefully, if that's the good thing that comes of it, we get a bit of tightening up of the laws and the, the wording of stuff, and we get a bit of distinguishing about these sort of things. I actually think it would make the game a bit better because you know we saw it on Saturday with the the Danny Kerr incident. Again, it was a. I think it's a rugby incident. It followed on a similar sort of vein to the uh, Freddie Stewart incident, and Luke Pearce throws it back, throws it forward. Again, it's stuff like the slow mo replays that hopefully should be taken out when it's done at real speed. So, if there's some, if there's some stuff that comes out of this,
0: that I think is mm-hmm. that I think is a good thing. So, big thing for see. me is to say uh, you can look at slow mo to identify where the point of impact is. Uh And then from that, you just have to look real time because there's no reason to carry on looking at it slow-mo after that. Because all it does is make everything look worse than it really is. Um, Quick shout out as well to uh, Michael Phillips, long-term listener who's got in touch, uh, who said that it, uh, he wants to get a campaign going to name this new red card rule being trialled uh, at the Rugby World Cup, named as Stuart's Law, in recognition of that being the catalyst for change. This is effectively, a, uh, a, there's a report going around that effectively we're going to have a yellow card being dished out automatically. And then whilst that card is off, the, uh, that player is off the pitch, the TMO then reviews to see if it should be upgraded to a red or not. Um, I think there's a few holes in that, but like you say, I think if there's, discussion about how to effectively treat this kind of incident going forward rather than this arbitrary red card and i I don't subscribe to red cards ruin games i really don't but it did ruin a competitive game actually i did think um england against Ireland because england had showed up uh so that was um so that i agree with you will will hopefully be a positive now speaking of positive let's talk about other results this weekend look at that segue uh, that's like a professional segue that I know, exactly, I just need a jingle now, we'll we'll be sorted. But look, I don't think we could really have asked for results to go much more favourably away from Leicester Tigers. If I'm being picky, Harlequins wouldn't get a bonus point against Saracens, uh, and perhaps London Irish and Northampton draw, or London Irish at least don't get a try bonus point, but effectively, all the results have put us into... A prime position that i don't think many people would have thought we would be in um you know just two months ago
1: absolutely it's a ever-changing position each week you know after each of the last five games the position of sort of narrative regarding the playoffs has changed as someone has found out um for us earlier this afternoon and and linked us to it you know five weeks ago we had an eight percent chance of making the playoffs um, and Exeter had a I think a ninety-six percent chance of making the playoffs.
0: It's so, it's so shit. it's like the wind-bizzing cricket that they had. It was the most pointless stat.
1: Yeah, it, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, here we are, we sat in third, and to me, I think we've got half a I think we've got a foot in the playoffs. I think I think the way we've we've landed after this weekend, I think we're in pole position, are in a really nice position. And I think we get double bubble against Exeter because if we beat them, we can A I think take them out of the running for the top four, and I think secure our top four um, place as well going into the last game, where potentially it's just a case of where in the top four we we end up to, to to aim for. So no, I think it's a we can't control what other teams do, but what we have done is manage what we can control. And you know the last five games, it's five wins, three bonus points, twenty three out of last twenty five points. Absolutely, we are the form team, and actually, if, if you go back. Um, over the last ten, ten, 10 games, we're not doing so badly over a, a long-term uh, run as well. So, yeah, it's fantastic by the boys. But, yeah, I think on Friday when me and you were talking, doing a sort of look-ahead to the weekend, we've got everything we ever wanted, really.
0: Absolutely. Just to run through those results, so we had Newcastle 17, Gloucester 12. That's probably Gloucester after we did them over at uh, King's Home last week. That's probably their mouse of the top four race, realistically. Mm-hmm. Um London Irish, 37, Northampton, 22. Now, both of those guys, obviously, were on our coattails. Northampton, not out of it, but that's a big, big kick. Irish, you know, they're they're still effectively on the catch-up, but now we are very, very much in the thick of it.
1: Saints' legs have gone wobbly in a boxing parlour. Their knees are going, they're swaying (laughs) a
0: little bit. They're, They're not on the canvas just yet, but they're swaying. Very much so exactly and then uh, Harlequins as well you know who like to throw a few punches they are on a horrible run of form actually they're one of the worst uh, form teams in the league at the moment 36-24 at Saracens. just quick shout out to Saracens. there's a hell of an event they put on uh, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium Uh, more of that please across the league. Uh, thought it was really, really good advert for rugby, and that game was good as well. Uh, and then obviously Bristol coming up on the ropes, uh, and we, uh, sorry, sort of coming up on the inside for everyone, and we've managed to sort of knock them back. So that is really good. And then today, the big, big result today, of course, is Bath beating Exeter Chiefs thirty six nineteen. Exeter get zero from that nil point. Um and that because Exeter were one of the few teams that effectively could overtake us. Uh, now puts it back in our hands as well uh, it means that effectively if we beat extra, um in our next game top four is ours
1: yeah i'm saying uh, to me that's our motivation that has to be we don't need much more motivation for that game as we say we are in that sort of knockout you know, single track mindset which has took us to this far which is amazing so we won't need much more firing up but that is a double motivation to go right we can knock you out plus get our um i, somebody, I think the- the top four narrative I think has been has changed quite a few bits over the last few weeks and it has been great just to sort of keep track of it because each each week it's almost like a new favourite comes through and Irish are coming out of nowhere to to get involved which I think is fantastic for the league actually because you know they were 10th not so long ago so I think that's a bit fantastic and have a new team as well in the top four and it's also good for us that we've you know we've found our form and and got ourselves up there so yeah it is great it's funny that how it does change and how it all comes together really. But um, it feels like we're not far off knowing who the top four is going to be now.
0: All right, I can wait no longer. Let's talk about the Leicester Tigers 46 Bristol Bears 24 victory at Matioli Woods Welford Road. On Saturday, twelve thirty, lunchtime kickoff. Um Elliot, I'll say it straight off the bat. One of the best performances of the season by a stretch, I think.
1: I think that's a very fair um shout. I think I couldn't think of many overall sort of 18 minute performances which we've we've done best. I think the Saints game away was good, but it wasn't an 18 minute one. Queens away maybe runs it close. Cause that was good, that was a good effort. I think, I think ultimately this is a as, as controlled 80-minute uh, performance, I think, as I can um, remember all season. I Really, I, I sort of want to say thank you to Steve Borthwick, Kev Simfield and Aled Walters, because before any of those three got involved in the club, I don't think we'd have won that game. You know, when we went behind at the start of the second half, I think Leicester pre-Borthwick and pre-Borthwick era would have probably have collapsed and fallen apart and have took a 20-point defeat, this Leicester side. Scrapped, hung in there, and actually bulldozed their way to the, to, to the line. I think that shows testament to the fighting qualities Steve put in, the hard work and defence that Matt Everard has built on, but was built under Kev, and the fitness work we've that means we can go to toe with any team in the in the league for 85, 90 minutes, and 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 play the game that we want to. And so I I think it's a, a win that's testament to all three's
0: hard work of the club. Yeah, and obvious, obviously credit to Wiggy and the current oh, as well for, yeah. for, yes. for maintaining that as well, because it, it looks like they're sort of cut from the same cloth. You see the way the boys are fighting. They've taken that sort of basis that was put there by Steve and by Kev and are building on it. They're building it. They're becoming more scrappy, uh, more aggressive when the need comes. And I think it's really, really impressive. Just an email from Ryan Yates that uh, crept into the inbox just as I was about to record on this section, uh, the com. Uh, he says hey guys love the show got a short one for you is this the best run of form we we've seen from tigers in the past 10 years between the captaincy of montosha and the absolute class from pollard they're looking like a complete team even last year at this time we didn't look this dominant it's fun best wishes ryan in denver um mate i i would hesitate to say it's the best run of form because I, I thought we did at times look so dominant in the particular first half of last season uh, when we won 10-11 on the bounce, I, I thought that was unbelievable. But I, I would support you in saying, I think it might be the best turnaround in form that I can remember. You know, given how uncertain war, uh, how uncertain things were, how we were down in the doldrums and everything that had happened, obviously, with coaches leaving, the turnaround and to pick up this form and, and to get these wins on the bounce, is it five on the bounce now in the league? Uh, I think is... And to do it in the manner we've done against the teams that we've done it against. Because remember, we've beaten Irish and Bristol, who were both on red-hot runs at the time. And Saris. And and, and Saris, of course, exactly. We've beaten the best team in the league. Uh, We've beaten uh, one of our playoff rivals as well, away from home. You know, there's there's a lot to be proud of in there. And I I think, Elliot, you and I agree. Uh, Whilst I think we have looked to a degree dominant, I think there's more to come. Yeah, definitely. I think... um... Last year was a bit
1: of a weird one because we won the first 12 and it was almost like, well, we're pretty much in the playoffs now. And so the second half of the season became quite an interesting one because Steve started testing a couple of things and we had the games away at Quinns and Saris where we played different teams just to sort of test a couple of things as well. So that second half of last year was almost a bit of a weird one where we were in the top four and it was just a case of seeing ourselves in. This time around, we're coming from behind and up. Um, I think it is really good and I think we're starting to get better and better and better each week and I think we've gone up a level since Saris at the start of this run I think we've come forward quite a considerable distance in how we play I agree with you I think there is another level to this team that can go even higher I think we're still not quite at our ceiling of what this if this group can achieve I still think there's a little bit of you know there's a few mistakes in, at times a few handling errors and a few you know sort of penalties which we could uh, or errors and stuff like that so there's a bit of tidying up to be done but i think that's exciting because if you think about it if we've got that ever gear to go and all that we've got left now are big games that's exciting i mean it'd be nice in the final or oh, get ahead of myself it'd be nice if we got the semi-final for example and we find our peak form to then take ourselves into to hopefully something else so yeah what a time to be um
0: be firing your best form shall we get into the game itself Always. I mean, we sometimes try and avoid doing deep dives, but this feels like one that's worth it. Absolutely. 22-point victory. It's a... <laughs> let's milk 22... it. Let's do it. Let's enjoy it. We've, we were shit for years, so let's enjoy being good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, look, scrappy start. Um, neither team really hanging on to the ball. There were a lot of scrums early doors, weren't they? The scrums were really interesting, actually. It kept feeling like, within a scrum, it was like a cosmos of battle for dominance. It looked like... We were getting the nudge on then they get a counter nudge on. If I was being a cynic, I felt we drove straight, and then when they were splintered, they tried driving across us from the side to give an illusion of a counter push. But either way, it was a really good scrap in the scrums. Um, I was quite pleased to see Carly not just go automatically and ping straight away. He was content to let them have a go at each other, which I thought, you know, credit to him. I thought was was decent refing. Um, it, it felt just the way the game started. I think we we played a bit sort of. Flat and we were a bit flaccid on I think on our first phase play weren't we? We there wasn't a lot of aggression on the running and then when Bristol came they dropped the ball. It just felt straight here. It was like "Mm, right both teams aren't quite on it. It felt nervous and a bit touchy. There was a lot at stake and it felt like the first try was going to come from a mistake uh, or a bit of luck. As it happened it it was kind of both. Think Visa perhaps buys McGinty's dummy and then there's a loose offload that could go anywhere. Luckily, bounces up, I think, to Williams' it's hand, isn't it? 12. Uh, he was there 12. Good player, though. He's come out of the Championship. Really, really decent. Pete Briley from Bears Beyond the Gate podcast was telling us about him. Really, really good. And he puts it inside for Harry Fucky Thacker to score against us again. I'm always so pleased to see Harry Thacker do well. I just wish it wasn't against us all the bloody time. Yeah, I mean, Harry Kane had as a as a, a penchant for
1: scoring against Leicester City uh, every time he gets the play against us. Thacker has developed... Um, uh, his ability to do that against us it should be said that the weather on saturday was couldn't make its mind up it was only until the last half an hour did the sun actually consistently come through for the first 45 50 minutes one minute it was lashing it down the next it was like being at the south of france then it would be lashing it down and it couldn't make its mind up and it you know the irony is, and it is was that, lashing
0: it down sideways as well i saw that point
1: yeah it was brilliant it's like at one point that it was sunshine but there was rain, it was raining. And I worked that one out. Where can the rain come from? But you know, so I think the um all the rain and the sort of the wind, it did make it quite treacherous conditions. And with the way that um they want to play Bristol, it meant that there's a few more hand in errors. We were pretty guilty of a couple of ones ourselves. So and it created, you know, you deferring the nerves factor that was going on, it created a bit of a slippery, um, you know, slippery situation where no one really
0: could get a hold of the hold of the, the ball, really. As fans on the terrace, you, when they go over for that try, you go, here we go.
1: Uh, there is an element of, okay, that's not ideal. I was a bit nervous before the game. I will admit this. I was a bit, just because in theory we should win. We're at home. I don't always back us at home against anyone. Um, and I thought we had the game and the players to do it. There's always that, you know, we still could pull a rabbit, rabbit out of the hat and sort of disrupt us. And when they um, get that first try, you sort of go, "This isn't going to plan." But no, it was—it was so—it was, so was a bit of a nervy moment. But um, with this team, more than any other team, you always get confidence with them that you've got to trust them over eighty minutes to 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 hang in there because ordinarily they will
0: always come good in that in that time frame. I think it's because Bristol are one of those sides, they're a confident side, and you thought, oh, "If we yeah. score early, yeah, this could not only could we lose, it could get." quite messy, it can get out of control quite quickly just because of how yes. lethal they are. And I you know, I say that with the utmost respect for the players they've got um and the way they play. So it, it's um you know there there was an element of danger definitely attached to that try, I think. And it absolute credit to the boys for diffusing that pretty quickly. Um I, I did feel after that try we did start to take hold of thought that our kicking and kick chase was pretty good. Uh Lenny um Mike Brown and in particular obviously um Andre Pollard kicking was bang on point the chase was excellent the chase never gets enough credit the chase was really really good um and the defense was um massive just quick special note for cam henderson usually we talk about george martin ending people maybe cam listens to the podcast i was like um i could break a few ribs too because because <laughs> you know given how tall he is and his physique you don't think he's going to start leveling people but fuck me he was arrowing himself into people's rib cages, wasn't he? I, so another great performance by Cam. Him and George Martin have sewn up that second row uh, slot for now. Um, you know, yeah, he's kicking on each game, isn't he? Henderson looks an international. Yeah, he looks
1: international quality uh, without a, a, an international cap to show for it. You know, it is fantastic um, form. I think again, each week he's sort of come into his uh, into the game. He's gone up a gear each time. He just looks a really good prospect. He's, you know, because he got injured, he's flown under the radar a little bit, um, and he's back now to remind Massively. people. Massively. He's back to remind people about what he's all about, and I really like that second row um, combination. I think it is, it's a combination that works with it. But yeah, he's carrying going forward and attacks pretty good. His defence work is pretty good. So yeah, fantastic, um,
0: fantastic guy. We say it a lot that obviously it's easy to forget that he was the first choice second row by the end of. Uh, the season before we won it. Uh, so at the end of the 2020 21 season, he was the first choice, second row. Then had a m- couple of minor injuries, and then the big one that kind of then set him out for the rest of the season. So that allowed Ollie Chesson to come through. And I think he's picked up now. He's, he's beyond where he was before. He's got an element of physicality uh, about his game, his carrying, his work rate, his defence, everything about him now um, is up another gear. So absolutely top notch, cab. I don't know if you listen don't care what what two uh naughty fans think but absolutely awesome mate uh it's brilliant to see you in full stride again uh now seems like a good time to go to uh one of our listeners daniel Haymes, who got in touch to send us this i thought in the game against bristol they looked like some classic tigers forward stuff brilliant uh carrying power from george martin jasper visa cam henderson but then also some of the uh the sort of running rugby reminded me a little bit of the, the all round Saracens game that we saw at the start of the season that sort of stunned everybody, Uh, particularly Anthony Watson's footwork. And also I think Ben Young's looking very sharp, very quick. And you almost wonder if him stepping back from England for a bit has just um, brought him back to full speed. Very, very good point. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, Really interesting. I've got to focus in on the, the point on Lenny for a second, because I, don't, I think that we are developing that all-court game, particularly the way that we involve different runners off the fringes. I think that the way Saracen's played earlier this season, I thought, had another level of uh, you know being able to go wide on the support runners that we're, we're not quite there with yet. But I, I see exactly where you're going with it. That seems to be the track we're trying to get to, which is fantastic to see. But just focusing on your point on Lenny, I could not agree more um, because we were quite still and quite static. It was like we were waiting for something to happen. And actually, it's an inside ball off Pollard, and I'll come to that later, to Cam Henderson. And he did this twice in the game. Big, you know, kind of half break, you know, makes about sort of 10 metres on the inside, which is fantastic. And once we had them going backwards, we were unstoppable. And I think a big part of the reason for that is is Lenny, at his best, playing heads-up rugby, just darting off the base, and he's got two or three forwards that he can hit or he can pull it back to pod. And he is making that right choice every time Ben Young's, that's his best. is phenomenal. If you can have just a slight bit of go forward and then forward runners off his shoulders, he will annihilate the fringes. And that's what he did. There was then a huge carry from Cracknell, again, because Lenny had gone and darted off the base, brought in the first defender. He had half a shoulder to run out then Cracknell, and made hay. And then off the back of that, it's the easiest, you know, show and go for sort of, of Youngs's class. He just like jogs it through. Absolutely phenomenal play. That bit looks quite relaxed and quite lethargic from him but everything up until that was 100 miles an hour i love it when Letty plays like that don't you i think it's a real good connect, use a phrase for connectivity
1: between the forwards and the backs so effectively what we have is some really good carrying work by our forwards so montosia visa martin henderson all hard carrying getting over the gain line and busting the defense uh, each time that they carry and because they're getting over the gain line with those four, uh, five strong carriers, it gives the defence obviously scrambles, and it gives Lenny that half a second just to, you get the ball away quickly to generate quick ball. And he's got a fly half in Pollard that's happy to, 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 stand to the line. And he can do that, or he can test the fringes because he's got another set of pod of forwards that are coming on for another wave to do the carry. So effectively, you've got link play between, you know, pods of forward getting over the gain line and the carrying. And it gives him options. And I think, actually, just to expand it out in terms of the connectivity a bit further, you've got a fly half in Pollard, who's we're going to talk about a bit later of how majestic he is. But someone I really quite like is actually the, the partnership with GoPath at 12, where I mm-hmm. think Gopuff gets the best out of Pollard because Pollard feels more relaxed. He can either go and be first distributor or he can have Gopeth as, as first distributor and it allows Pollard to be around the back. And that combination of forwards doing the hard carrying an international quality scrum half on in, on the front foot at his best, and visually looks like he's enjoying his rugby with a fly half and inside centre that seems to be on the same wavelength and have a good combination there. I think it's generating some really good rugby for us, and I think it's sort of the rugby that me and you have sort of wanted us to be playing about forward dominated and forward orientated, but using the backs cleverly to you know link it up, forwards bash the holes, create some space. And then get the ball out wide to create, to, to utilize the space that's been created. And there's few better than Lenny and Pollard in a combination at just going, right, it's on, snap, let's go.
0: I, I think I'd almost equate it you know, when Ireland are at their best mm. and it feels relentless. You know, mm. There's like wave after wave. And then they'll swing it wide and they'll do something really nice in the backs so that's really clinical and score. But up until then, it's their forwards and maybe a couple of big carrying centers that make it all the dense. Um, that I think is almost our blueprint where we want to get to. It feels, it
1: feels that sort of. I think, like as you said, that that it is an all-court and it's a balanced game between forwards and backs, where the forwards do the hard carrying, but the backs have got a license to utilise the space that's being created. And I think it's, to me, it's coming together really, really nicely, and it's a joy to watch us. Really, I think when we're at our best, and we've got that free-flowing phase play really good to watch I feel
0: yeah that's it and it's why I always get annoyed with people say, oh you know what more offloads you know like out the back passes all that shit you know a bit like Bristol yeah we all do we're, we're, no, a bit like Bristol do you know fantastic to watch but that isn't the only way to play really good exciting rugby I think like really powerful dynamic fast rugby off the base you know ruck you know less than one second ruck speed tip yes, on passes defend. tip on passes that's what's really good remember that like, the dark days under O'Connor where it would just go to a big forward stood still A poor Calamaphoni Gets the ball, like does his best, but he's he's monstered by two, three boats because it's so easy. But here we had, you know, Visa doing tip-on passes, um, sometimes pulling it back inside. You've got a little part of fours, it can get pulled back. Just having those options, I think, makes all the difference. And particularly if you're doing it off quick ball. It's so hard to defend. Um, anyway, so it's seven-all after Lenny gets through. Feels like in control. I uh, only just thought Chris Edgerton said it really nicely. He said nip and tuck um in the comments, which I thought was a really good way of describing it. It did feel like that. It was at times I thought Bristol had the edge. At other times it felt like we. Did. I remember when I watched at the time, it felt more comfortable than it did when I watched it back. I thought actually yeah, Bristol had a, a few chances. Um, uh, I think there was actually they were quite wasteful. There was that finish by Lloyd Evans or attempted finish by Lloyd Evans. It was good good cover by Potter and Brown. But you know, I think a top level winger potentially finishes that or at least gets closer than he just he put his foot on the line before um, you know the tacklers had even got to him. Good call by the liner actually.
1: A great call because he called it very quickly and he didn't fanny around with going around up to the the TMO Mm -hmm. to have a look at. He was very decisive and going, foot out, called it on the spot. I think that's really good
0: officiating. But that's the way it should be done because he calls it. And then in the background, the TMO, you could actually hear on the stream, the TMO have a look at it and say, yeah, he's right, done. And that's in the background while they're setting up for the line out. And that's perfect because actually if the linesman have made him say, the TMO said, oh, well, this is actually quite close. We need to go and have another look fine but that was done really well so i agree credit to the officials no doubt the linesman was uh, provided with some uh, advice and some from some better position people on the terrace i'm sure uh, absolutely it was, it was like yeah, very good work everyone um but after that i mean it felt like we were being clinical which is good because we haven't always been clinical we've had you know a lot of chances and i think there was stats earlier on the season about all our visits 22 not taking our chances this one we were definitely clinical um, as shown by our second try, I think th- they start to concede in the mall um, it's, a love- it's a penalty advantage a gorgeous crossfield kick by Pollard, particularly because it wasn't the greatest pass by Lenny, and it goes straight to uh, Flash Tony, Flash Tony in and out, see you later, Charles Pietel. um who couldn't catch a cold by the way in that first half um, it- we were all over him, and yeah, he scores an absolutely, um, absolutely fantastic try, now we could talk about flash. Show. That that's a, a standard class finish by Anthony Watson, so that's fine. And we'll get on to talking about Pollard in more detail shortly. I just want to talk about something very specific. That whole opportunity came from I think a, a penalty on our own half, and he hammers it to uh, seven meters from their line. His touch finders on penalties were enormous. How important is that? It's massive. It is very
1: noticeable. I've been, over the last few weeks, since Pollard has come into the team and started doing this on a regular basis, it is very noticeable the marked difference between Pollard, who is able to push those extra 10, 15 yards, and other fly halves who can't. Because that whole try came from the fact that he boomed it deep into their 22. You know, it instantly put them under pressure. We got them all going. They pulled the penalty. And would they have done that if it was, you know... 20 yards further out? Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know. But it, it put them under pressure and it forced them to make a bad call, which is to give a penalty away. pollard I think, those sort of kicks are difference between try and no try because he blends it to perfection. And he has another one in the second half where the gangler was against yeah. him and he boomed it again pretty much onto the five. And if you're a pack, if you're Montosia, that is, it's old school Leicester to me about how it used to be when Goody would boom it right into the corner, would trundle up Right, catch drive, see you later, over we go. And I think it's a, it's harmony between again, it's it's just good rugby.
0: Yeah, and I think actually that has coincided very nicely with our mall coming to the party again because mm. we said earlier on the season, mm, is the mall actually becoming you know, it's not a weapon anymore. Is it almost a problem? Because it, it it's doing nothing. And I know Gloucester fans feel that about their mall at the moment, and you know, you saw that in the Newcastle game, you know, it, it really doesn't do a lot anymore that is the tigers mall has found its feet again and i still think it's got another gear to go but you know finding our feet with the mall and having someone who will repeatedly on a penalty anywhere around halfway or you know in that midfield third will put you to within five ten meters of the line you go from being you know nowhere really you're not really threatening to all of a sudden being in a prime try scoring opportunity and it means the the other side can't defend as aggressively as they would want to in the midfield. So there's opportunities all over the shop. The, the ramifications for <laughs> Pollard being able to kick it a bit longer than other fly halves are massive, way more than you'd even think of like just off the top. So it, it's really, really intriguing to see that. And I think as fans, we have to be prepared that every now and again, when he goes for it, there will be one in ten which doesn't work. But I hope that we're willing to forgive him that as also nine out of the ten um keep going where they're going at the moment because that's uh, that's fantastic.
1: Well we've got a swagger back at the mall time. we seem to have got a swagger back and it, it makes me wonder if we've got could Pollard is getting it onto the five, whether it's giving the forwards a bit of an extra, you know, a pep because last week against Gloucester we got a drive in mall try through Visa at the end. And then this week we had a couple of goes at it. And I think it is giving us a bit of a, a a thing about, you know, because he can get us there. We do stride up with a bit of swagger about us. We're we, we backing ourselves. And to be fair, against Gloucester, he talked about he shanked one. He, he tried to push it away at Gloucester and he missed out a couple by um, by pushing the envelope a little bit. And I personally, I, like you've said, you, we have to sort of live with fact Occasionally, he might get it wrong by, um, by going for it.
0: Now, this is going to be... Um controversial because i know he's only a temporary signing but didn't we sign you know danny wilson in mid-january the he's a line-out coach yes could it coincide with him i think he's certainly i think there's got to be work for it's got to be some credit that we dish out there
1: 100 100 so with wilson our line before wilson came in our line out had not only was our mall suffering but our line-out was a bit shonky. I think our line-out stats had gone down to sort of 50 60% or whatever it was. It wasn't great. So the whole combination of things weren't working. He then came in and to be fair, he did tidy up the line-out. So our line-out stats went back up to sort of 90%, 95%. But the mall hasn't quite got going. Whatever they've been doing on the training ground, I've got to credit him because, you know, him, Brett and the other coaches are all involved there. The mall has come back and he's now come back with a vengeance and it's a you know, it's come back to being an attacking weapon for us. And that's, it makes it an interesting thing about when do we go to the corner, <laughs> when do we go to three points again? Because is now back as an attacking weapon. Actually, I thought Montoya got the balance pretty well about going for the three at the right point and
0: then going to the corner at the right moments as well. Also, it almost felt like he was seeing where the penalty was. Was it, you know, in the fi- on the 15 or wider of the 15? If it's in the 15, you know, yeah, that that's a nice straight kick. If it's outside, you probably think no, there, there is a risk. You know, okay? It's not an exact science, but I wonder if he's using that as a bit of a guide as well. Um, scrappy finish of the half. Dan Thomas, who'd come on pretty early doors, I, I didn't understand why he's not signing, because I always think he has a good game against us. He, in particular, was a thorn in our side, I thought, at the breakdown. He, he got some lov- a couple of lovely turnovers, really, really clean turnovers, uh, which uh, were good to see from a flanker point of view, not good to see from a Tigers point of view. But 15-10 at the break. So, really good position. A lot of work to do. Um, Bristol are so dangerous, though, and it, it looked like they'd scored early doors, didn't it? Uh, there's that um, break uh, down the left. I think it's uh, Ibitoyi, and it goes to Bradbury. Anthony Watson, great cover tackle. Flash Tony gets back, makes cover tackle. Looks like it hadn't been enough. Yeah, Bradbury scrambles over. I thought it was a try when I watched it. And then Matthew Carley says, no, 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 very quickly says, I think at first he said you were held, but then he changed it to, well, no, you were, you were crawling. Um, if I'm being honest, I look at that and I say, I, I said, but I think we're lucky. If it was the other way around, I'd be, I'd be fuming. But it's one of those ones that it looks okay. So it kind of looks like and feels like it should be a try. But if you apply the laws, particularly once he's down you can't crawl, he's got to try and get back up to his feet, but he said he kind of takes a couple of crawling steps, doesn't he? So technically it's probably right, but I do think we are lucky because I don't think a lot of rest would have given that. See, I did actually
1: disagree with you. So in the ground, I thought it was probably was a try. However, when I watched it back, Watson holds his leg down, he then lets go, or it falls off, Yeah. and like you said, he goes on his knees for two steps.
0: Yeah. You can't, Really, you yeah, can't e- do that. Even, even if even if you're not held, yeah. even if you're not held, you've got. To... So I think that's what carly said. That the Bristol players are pointing up, saying, "Oh, look, you know, he wasn't held." And you've carly... got to jump up. You always have to sort. of de- It is hard to do. You always have to sort of jump up and
1: not be on your knees. But as soon as he goes on his knees, to me, I don't really have much sympathy with Bristol because a he's on his knees, he is technically crawling under the laws as they are written, and also considering what we've had chalked off. You know, Cracknell at Irish, Hanro at Gloucester. They yeah, were very. It, much... it is.
0: It is consistent with that. You I was.
1: I would say we've been h- more harshly dealt with in those two instances because there was no double movement. They weren't on their knees. They were, and rich, they were right? allowed. Yeah, they were allowed to reach out, and yet that they still had tries called off for that. Now, if they're going to be called off for that, I have pretty li- limited sympathy for Bristol when the old boy's on his knees.
0: So I, I have limited sympathy for Bradbury because he actually got penalised for it yeah, the first half. Yeah, because George Martin uh, absolutely ended him and he just got up and tried to run again. Like, no, mate, you've just been obliterated. Don't try and shake it off like nothing's happened. You've been tackled and he didn't release. So He could have diff- put the ball down. He had enough yeah, time, Bradbury, the, the, in that situation. The, the, the difference was between whether it was a tackle or the tackle was made or whether it wasn't completed was simply whether or not... Uh, he had to release the ball and then get up, or if he was entitled to just get up. Then it would be more contentious, I think, if he was trying to get up on his feet and then scored. But the fact is, as you say, he did a couple of crawling. I'd have been annoyed if it was Tigers watching it, because when you look at it, it kind of, in real time, you think, that looks like a try. Uh, but it wasn't. But I think technically it was probably the right call. Albeit, I would say, a lucky one. Cause again, I do maintain, I don't think a lot of rest would have given it um they do get scored <laughs> anyway. um and it was probably one of pollard's i think very few errors of the game uh, and even then i really like the way he tried to atone for it straight away it was it was a charge down he chases back great speed great bravery he's you know it's him against two bristol players uh tries to dive in under the pressure understandably the ball sort of squirts through in a bit toy, nice finish uh scores scores a try and again you kind of start to feel uh, a little bit nervous don't you um Shall we move on to Andre Pollard, though? Yes,
1: please. Yes, please.
0: Well, first up, let's hear from our old mate Tarquin, who gets in touch to eulogise, really, about um, Andre Pollard, but also draw comparisons uh, with our old mate,
2: Mr Ford. Morning chaps, Tarquin here from Cole, just sitting here thinking about how dominating we were yesterday against the Bristol Bears. But one thing that really struck me in these last three or four games is last season when we won the title, George Ford pulled the strings, he put us in the right places and he drove this team forward and you could see him managing the team on the field. It appears to me this season, Andre Pollard's doing the same, but he's actually looking like he's in a really good place a little bit earlier. Because he's got the team around him functioning better as well. So my ask, my question, or my point, I suppose, is: Can we do the back-to-back titles with Pollard pulling the same strings as Ford?
0: That's the end of the message. He sort of tails off as if he's about to come up with a an alternative. <laughs> but that's the end of the message. Very good point, anyway, Tarkin. Really good. I like the comparison between Pollard and Ford. I don't want to talk about back-to-back titles though, if that's all right with you, uh, Tarquin and, and Elliot as well, because it feels. Yeah, no, like I don't it want to cares. talk about it yet. No, we, we just enjoy the moment. But I will talk about Pollard, and I will talk about Fordy as well, because I was thinking about this because a lot of what was made about how different they were, I suppose, when you know Fordy left, Pollard came in, and it was almost put out there that Fordy was this you know instinctive magician, uh, and Pollard was this robot that was coming in and was going to just play a certain way, and he couldn't possibly read what was in front of him, and I think what we've done is we've all fallen into a trap or anyone who who was saying that and i have to admit to a degree i felt that they were different towards that end of the spectrum although not that extreme but we've all probably got to admit we've been um i suppose guilty of oversimplifying things because i think if you actually you break it down yes i think 4d is better at the line, picking a pass outside him when he's got two or three runners, I think he is better at picking his options. And I say that because I don't think there's many better in the world than George Ford at doing that. I think Pollard of us more of a physical threat himself. I think he, the inside ball of Pollard, he disguises it so beautifully, I think it is more of a threat off him as well. And I actually think his wider pass, he has more pace on it. And I think that allows you to get to the wider challenge. So there are differences, but one thing they are very much the same in, I think is... This tactical organisation of the team around them, the the shouting of orders, the the on-field coach, you know, a lot is made of George Ford. He's really really vocal. I don't know if Pollard yells as much, but you see him, he's constantly talking, constantly pointing. It's very very calm, isn't it? But it's still done with a lot of authority. And I think I said this in a sort of a, a tweet a little while ago. If um, Montoya's is the emperor, I think Pollard is the the general of the armies of the north.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I agree with all of what you've uh, said there. I I think with Pollard because he's a star fly half and he's replacing Ford. You always have high, really high expectations because he's a name coming on big money, World Cup winner. You go right, be brilliant. And then he comes in injured, and there's already question marks about his fitness and his in his injury records. And he comes in within five minutes. You know, he turns up injured. He gets fit. The end gets injured again. We don't really see him until. Um, january and when he does turn up you know he's struggling because you know we've thrown him in probably a couple of games too early you then go to where we are now and it's like oh boy we've seen what we've signed you know this is the the, the gold standard fly half that we knew we were getting and boy is delivering for us and i think he is a pleasure to watch i find pollard an absolute joy as a fly half because he can do all things you know if you want to play a, t- a kick in tactical battle He's happy to, to go down that line as he kicks really well. Touch finders, we've mentioned that. He can boom it. Off the tee, one of the best. I, I still don't think we've seen his full range. I think he probably could get it from the halfway line or in our half if we're to test him with a long ranger. I think he's got it in his locker. You know, he's passing so, so good. He's physical in defence. He's physical um, in attack. And what I like about him is that there's a great screenshot that Chris, Chris Hayward sorry, um, did about the chip and chase that he did for his try. And it's a magnificent Drive at Pollard has scored. But what Pollard gives a defence is options and questions, and he gives multiple options. So that drive, that chip and chase, there's four options I think that are on. There's the inside ball, which he's capable of because he's got Cam Henderson next to him, which he can move back in at speed. He can carry it up himself because he can ask a question mark at the defence and he's already had one or two goes at it. There's a he can do a flat pass across to Jasper Visa to do a hard carry. So he can come back around to spin it wide, or we can bring the ball back into a pod that's coming round of Brown Stewart out into Anthony Watson in the wings. Now, this is all credit to, to Wiggy and the coaches because they are setting this, this sort of framework up. But it's a framework designed to give Andre Pollard the best ability to get the best out of himself. And because he's so dangerous, he has four options on it. So it's no wonder defence don't know what he's going to do. But he can do all sorts. And he's seen it in a game. He's now got a box of tricks in front of him and he's testing the defence, you know, clever kicking clever game management to me he's such an all-round fly half i i'm so excited that we've got him because i i to be fair, i'm the same as many, many people you do have question marks around that christmas time and you go not of money there's not many games left are we going to see the best out of him
0: you know i'm so glad we've got him because i think he's fantastic i couldn't agree more and what i really like about that is he listed four options they had pretty really scored his try. Not one of them was the chip. Oh. Um uh, so which is option five. Uh and I'll come to that in a, a bit more detail in a second. But what I really like is there's almost because, also because I'm a bit weird, I like sort of symmetry and stuff like that. I get very straight. My desk is an absolute tip. I don't know why this sort of OCD comes from for certain things, but if you look at his game when he came, you know, started against sale, and he 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 was okay, he scored that try, but he looked knackered, he, he wasn't at his best. You almost feel that every game he is getting better and better and better. There is improvement in every game as he gets sharper. And Tarko raises the point there as well about it seems like someone who's enjoying his rugby. Uh, If you read the interviews uh, or listen to the interviews he did after the game and and he does with the club, there's a guy who's probably embedded himself into Leicestershire. He says, I've not enjoyed my rugby this much since 2019. And he's had a bit of a, a rough time. So, he is enjoying it and he I, I really like it when other players score and you see how much he celebrates and goes to them and bigs them up. That's a sign of a guy who's properly embedded into this team, I think. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, it's little things like he says, I love curries round here and stuff like that. But I think he genuinely loves it. And I think you see it with over the years, we've had some fantastic overseas signings that come into the club and then they stay because they get a feel for it and they go. Wow, this is special. You know,
0: even like recently, Namani.
1: and, no, no, and, Han- and
0: Hanro, who's still here as well. You, you hear what Hanro says, and Jasper doesn't usually talk about his personal life to the to the press at all. But you know, these guys, uh, you know, have made it their home, haven't they? So it, it,
1: to me, Pollard is the latest in top quality overseas players, but hear reputation about Leicester, and they they maybe go, yeah, it's, it's all talk. It, it's you know, it's a bit of a myth, or it's bigged up to be more than it actually is. They get and join the club, and it's like, wow, this is special. And it is great. It's all fantastic. And I know it's great because we are winning. It does make it a lot easier. But there is something special about this club. And I love that Pollard gets it. Jamie, I love the fact when they, these overseas players, star players as well, come in and go, yeah, it's good here. I like it. And it, it, to me, that's a real tick in the box moment about like what we're about. And he's the scene. He look, he visually looks in his rugby. If he didn't enjoy it, he wouldn't be playing as good as he is. You know, that is an extra two or three percent to his game if you're out if you're feeling good and you're feeling confident and you're genuinely enjoying your rugby enjoying your surroundings you join your teammates you give an extra you know you get an extra five ten percent out of you because you're enjoying yourself and quite clearly in the way he's playing he feels good looks good and
0: yeah he's, he's tearing it up for us damn right he looks good because uh all of a sudden my wife was interested uh to watch the stream with me when she saw that he was front and center as well um uh, very very handsome man that's That's a different point again. That's also the second time I say it. That's getting onto a lot of restraining orders now.
1: Your wife likes a crash call
0: ten. She does. She does. One thing I don't think you can put too much weight on actually is his mentality. Having just, um, I suppose, uh, conceded a try due to his own mistake, chased back and then almost another mini mistake, and and they score. And you can see he's got his head in his hands. He's going, "Oh no!" you can't think. "Oh no!" Keep your head up. He answers that with you know, one of those massive touchfinders. Julian scores again. Uh, the mall is now properly on top. By the way, Coley and Cronin coming off the bench. Uh, absolutely massive, um, I thought. As well as you know, JVP and Stewart and, and, and Tommy, all adding class as well, I thought, off the bench. bench was superb, but particularly the front row. Uh, which Bomb timed, squad. Bomb squad, which came on uh, when Genji came on as well. We'll, we'll uh, talk a little bit about Genji in a minute. Um, I thought that it, they were superb montosha gets over for two tries with the rolling wall we've already talked about that um just want to carry on about uh, we talk about the try by by pollard uh the emperor Julian. uh the tigers tried to call him king julian which annoyingly sounds quite good but uh, but i want to stick with emperor uh imperious once again so good so good i mean the, the
1: 20 tries in 34 premiership games it's just unreal you know, if he wants to stay for another couple of years, he could be breaking so many records.
0: He's got Neil back at his sights.
1: I you? know. I mean, <laughs> backy last week just he's not getting the ball. Well, you could tell him that. I mean, it is great. I mean, Montoya again. He's another one. Again, in his interviews and his in his social media and stuff, he just he looks again like he's genuinely, like genuinely enjoying his rugby and enjoying being part of this group and being part of this team. And it's great. And again, he's expressed himself in terms of his. His work rate, his attitude, a couple of other turnovers. I mean, his darts are pretty good. Uh, I don't think there's any uh, issues there. So, yeah, I think it's just in terms of what he's about. What I like is just the subtle way he talks to referees now. You know, after the try, he
0: scores that ball and more. He is sensational in his relationship with management. Like, he, he knows when to push and when to. To chirp in a way which is quite light-hearted to a point where, and Genji actually got better at this, I thought, as a skipper as well, because uh, he developed personal relationships with the rest of so like, yeah, all right, Alice. And that, uh, occasionally he'd lose it a bit too much, but Julian is—he's so good at it, isn't it? And that is actually makes this captaincy switch or uh, uh, match day captaincy, we should say, a bit of a masterstroke. Yeah, uh, again, whoever has called it inside the club, whether it's
1: Roaster's call cool or Wiggy's call cool or a collective, whatever it is, it's been. It's paid off wonders because, again, as we've said, it's got the best out of Julian. It's got the best out of Hanro. I thought Hanro was majestic. Majestic. His (laughs) line out work, I would say, it's quite often. I think he is our go to man now, Hanro, in the line out, especially for the catch and drive five meters out. Hanro goes up pretty much every time to get the ball. And yeah, I thought he was uh, his all round work. And again, that last try that Tiger scored came from Hanro's game awareness with a tap penalty, because everyone's Mm. going, oh, it's 80 minutes up, the clock's gone, they're going to scrum it. Instead, no, he taps and goes, hammers to the line, and then we go over on the second phase. That is superb reading of the situation and knowing when to go. And yeah, I think Hanro is, yeah, it's got the best out of both men.
0: Yeah, and Hanro, for me, is still a captain, even though he doesn't have the T on his name. You you look at the way he he leads, and he does still very much talk to the boys and the pack, and he's still part of that leadership group. I completely agree. You're just, you've got two quality leaders there one might be slightly better for the matchday captaincy role just because um of the way he talks to the refs and so i think that's really really exciting and uh, you know i've said my piece about Montoya before i i think he is the best we've had at the club and that is against some astonishingly good players who i respect a huge amount uh, and i now think you, you start to talk about where is he firstly in overseas signings quality but also in terms of general best players I've seen at the club. I, I just can't think of a hooker who does everything that a hooker should and also everything a back row should and sometimes everything a centre should. Uh, it, it, he is just absolutely unbelievable. Um, so fantastic performance by him again. Um, let's go and talk about um, the try by Pollard. Oh, we yes, mentioned please. it before. Have you Obviously what Tigers did with the... Uh, yeah, very very nice i, I think Pollard probably did that himself um i would if i'd have scored that what i absolutely love about it if you watch it in the slow-mo you see he has no time whatsoever the ball comes to him and the easiest option there is for him to tip on uh and in, he i thought the kick looked weird it's kind of like a it's not—he's not dropped it onto his foot, really, kind of, you know, or, or squared his body up to do it. He's shaped as if he's kind of, you know, going to pull the ball back behind him. But I, I realise that's because he, in one motion, he basically just stops the ball from JVP the pass, just stops it and just drops it immediately onto his foot in one motion. The class of that, the skill on that, is unbelievable. And this is from someone who spends half his life trying to do chip kicks that he's too slow and, and fat to chase. Uh, and, and more importantly is too unskilled to be able to execute well uh that is absolutely sensational it's a brilliant spot lovely speed and, and get up pace to get it it's just sheer class it's the vision that gets it for me
1: it's the vision to, to know it's on and do it because it's brilliant like it's blinking you miss it the kick i know what you mean in terms of the kick because it happens so quick and it's probably why the Bristol defence was so squared up because it happened out literally out of nowhere. It's like, mm. bang, he's gone.
0: And he, he wasn't shaped for it as well. No. That's the thing.
1: Yeah, no, like, Freddie Burns, obviously, is the master of a chip kick. But you sort of knew with Freddie when it was coming because he angled his body in such a way that it was it, that's what he was going to do. Pollard, as I've said, he had five options of what he could have done with that ball. As you mentioned, the, the chip kick is the fifth. There's five options what he could do. And he probably goes for the, the hardest option, which is to kick over the top. Because everything else is is easy. Because it's ball back inside, easy. Take it up himself, easy. Tip on to, to visa, easy. Out the back, easy. It's all there for him, and it's all set up to do. To to pull off that is fantastic. And and to be fair, I think I think Genji knew as he was running back to chase him. I think he knew it was a a bit of, a bit of magic from him because he had that sort of look of fair play. I'm not. I can't get to you here. It's a great kit. It's yeah. a great moment. It's a great try. Four tries for Andre now. You know we talk it's about fishing.
0: What's it? Four and ten for a fly half.
1: Yeah, I think it's 10
0: games in all competitions for four tries. That's pretty good going. Yeah, very, very good. And what I liked about it, A, I think it showed off a side of him that he was renowned for in South Africa when he burst through as as being a bit of a visionary, quite creative. He had it in his locker. If you watch old under-20s footage, if you're a dork like me, that's all there. And, you know, it's great to see him have the confidence to pull that out. He didn't have a penalty advantage then. You know, we're attacking in no. their twenty-two and and these days, and particularly at Tigers, we only seem to see creative play from us like using the boot to kick past when we've got a penalty advantage. No penalty advantage. He sees it, he does it. That is confidence, that is class. Um and we like we say, I think we're seeing a guy properly earning his money uh, as the you know our marquee player and living up to his billing. You know, I'm delighted for him, a guy who had a lot of understandable skepticism when he joined, and he's um, you know, brushing all that aside. Now, last thing to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about, firstly, Coley and Cronin coming on and their impact at the scrum. And segue to that, um, ex-skipper Babs Ellis Genge. Loved seeing him come on. He didn't have a particularly good time. Um, Coley, admittedly, you know, Genge, to be fair to him, he he had a very weak, um, very inexperienced hooker next to him and, you know, the third, fourth choice tight end as well. So he's always kind of a one man standing alone there. But Coley does him a cropper in the scrum pretty spectacularly. Uh, and uh, it gets quite tasty. It was quite good to see Julian. You see the red miss. He had no regard for the fact it was Genji at all. Ellis gave him a little bit of a tap. Julian's onto him. Lenny, who's so mild-mannered, was shoving him. There was a lot of lip. There was a lot of spike going back and forth, You know, going both ways, which, personally, I love. That's just who he is. And I like the fact that we're not chummy with him when we're on the pitch. And then after it was it was great to see all the pictures um you know of him with fans and him with the players. Apparently he was in the Tigers dressing room afterwards. Um which is fantastic. He's a legend of the club. Absolutely love the guy. Uh but for me it was good to see us get stuck into him, wasn't
1: it? I love Genji in terms of everything he's about, you know, elite mentality. He's a born winner. He wants to win. And I think some of his, I guess I, to describe it as a negative is probably unfair, but it is sort of negatives, I guess, in terms of some of the stuff that was going on. One, it's part of his game in terms of trying to wind up the opposition and trying to get under your skin, try and be- buy a penalty or a penalty reversal and stuff like that. So that's part of his game. I I don't have any issues with that because that is what he is and I celebrated it when he was with us. I guess in terms of he's, he's just such a born winner, I think he got a bit frustrated with everything that was going on around him. You know, his pride probably got a bit dented. His first game back at Welford Road, he carried really well. You know, he's carrying was, was trademark Ellis. He bounced George Martin. You know, I mean, that, that probably tells you a story that, you know, he's a decent No, nah,
0: I'm going to stand up with George Martin. I think George Martin tries to put a shot on him. Uh, he does bring him down, but admittedly Ellis has risen that initial shot uh, and makes two metres. It's not a missed tackle, though. I'm not going to call it a miss tackle. No, OK. It's gorgeous, be fair. But yeah, it, if you're going off the man test, Genji wins that.
1: Yeah, and it, 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 the good stuff from Genji was there. I think, to be fair, he probably we sent on with maybe a bit of a mission to see if you can buy a couple of penalties and try and buy your way back and try and get a yellow card by getting under our skin. Pap- Papalan probably gave him a bit of a license to do that in fair play. Um, so yeah, I don't have an issue with any of the stuff that went on in and around Delos. It was all it's all the good stuff uh, from him. But yeah, it's a shame that he's It's always a great thing of just like, oh, I'd love to have you back with us. But yeah, he's a, he's a quality player. Uh, in terms of Cole and Cronin, I thought they were superb in terms of what they brought to Group in terms of that big last 20, that last 25 minutes, we took control of the game. And I think it's no surprise that the the bench came on and we that's when we sort of turned the screw a little bit. I think all came
0: from the tight as well. You know, we focused on the scrum, the maul, and that set the platform. But this is not to say Wesley and Hazy were you know ineffective or anything like that. I thought they both played really well, but it was the right time to bring on, I would suppose, your two tighter specialists, if that makes sense. Just to screw, you know, turn the screw where we probably had an advantage anyway. If you're going to squeeze, you're going to squeeze with Cole and Cronin because they are the
1: best at it, especially with Montoya at it. But, uh, to be honest, I thought how we utilised the bench in the 23 was um, exactly how you should do. You know, to me, it was a perfect embodiment of an 80 minute performance from 23 players where your starters, you know, did exactly what they needed to do. They set us up. They got us into a good position. And then your bench comes on and wins you the game. You know, that's exactly what the, the replacement, you know, use modern parlance finishes, if you want to go that way. That's what your replacement bench is about. You're utilising every guy available to you to get the win. And that's what they did. And they brought their skill sets. Um, and it's great because it actually now you're going to the next game on Friday night and you're just starting to think about um, selection because, people, you know, people are putting their hands up for it. The one thing I would like to credit, actually, just as a, as a finishing point, Matt Everard for the defence, because we've seen against yeah, um, Quinns and against Saints. I know we can talk about being up front, they rolled over and let uh, Bristol tickle their belly. Fair enough, we, we always knew we were going to be a sterner test, right? But what I thought was great about us was how much we didn't bite in at all. Whether the ball went out wide, the system of trusting your inside man held up to an absolute T. And it reminds me of, like in football parlance, when you come up against, if you were Leicester City or whatever, you go up against Man City. And they will say, about park for bus. And what they always talk about is about two blanks of four, a real solid set shape, but you're taught never to dive in because you know they're going to pass the ball around you against a better team. They're always going to have the ball. They're tempting it's, you all the time, Yeah, they? But they want you to dive in because it creates a mm. dog leg in football to get the ball around you to get into the space. So you have to stay as resolute as possible. And with Bristol, that's the, the rugby equivalent of that. Because they're they they're out-the-back passes, they move the ball at speed. They want you to bite in or rush out the line. They want you to commit and to and so they create a space for them to dive in. The system that Everard put together was so, so good because they didn't allow Rodrada to get through, they didn't allow Piatel to get going, they stopped McGuinty most of the time in terms of that plate and they stopped Bristol yeah. from doing it. And Matt Scott, I will credit because actually Scotty and Gopper in the centers mm. were fantastic in terms Scot- of
0: Scotty uh, is in particular. Uh, is now, I think I message you, undroppable because of the defensive organisation he provides in the most challenging defensive position. In fact, actually, if we are going to put like a slight sort of, you know, this is a lovely trifle, we're going to put a slight cherry made of poo on top of it. It is the fact that Scotty goes off injured. Uh, And to that end, I'm just going to share uh, one more quick voice note with you.
1: Hi, guys. Absolutely class win from the boys again. Amazing. Obviously, there's pictures circulating of Scotty having a lot of ice around that ankle. Um, so if he is indeed injured, that makes us pretty light for, for centre. We don't know about Porter. Obviously, Kelly, I think, is still out for a couple of weeks. So what do you think? What, what should we be doing? Should we be moving Potter back to 13? I'm not personally a fan of that. Or, you know, is it is it time for for
0: Kinney or um, Phil Fockner-Singer to step up to the plate. That was Jacob Bassford. Sorry for cutting you off, mate. I'm just conscious of time. So I wanted to jump in with the centre point whilst you were on it because it's a really good point. I think, yeah, Scotty, Gopeth, I've been executing that that fantastic analogy you just did of you know parking the bus, which I think is superb. But obviously, Matt Scott goes off injured. By the way, you should say, he, he was off injured for the last half an hour. So you had Harry Potter defending that 13 channel very, very well. But again, outside Jimmy Gopeth, Jimmy's worth has increased as well, hasn't it? And so when we talk about what our centre's options are, I think if you're going to put in an inexperienced 13 in, it's not so bad outside Jimmy, is it?
1: No, I think because Jimmy's um, experience and know-how allows him to sort of know what corners to cut, if that makes sense. And it's just sort of little cheat codes of how to be more efficient and smart and box clever because you you haven't got pace but he's got game management and rugby intelligence. And I think stuff like that is invaluable. It's interesting because um, Guy Porter's injury was not described as being serious. So it makes me wonder if um, there was a sort of maybe a feeling of holding him back for Edinburgh on Friday night and they didn't want to risk him because he was earmarked for that. You just don't know, but you'd like to think that Scott's injury is not too serious and you'd like to think that Porter's not too far away. This is a sort of curveball if you wanted to. We could go down Charlie Atkinson at 10 with um, Pollard at 12. Um, that's a bit risky, I think, for me. I quite like to be fair. Um, Potter, in the centre, I think it works. And considering gopher I thought actually had a good game on Saturday, mm. and I think in George playing alongside Pollard, you could line up with a Pollard gopher Potter midfield, and I don't think it it would be too much of an
3: issue.
0: We're we're a long way from doing it, uh, but I've seen a few suggestions online that, and Freddie Stewart. Uh, what about trying him at twelve? Which we don't need to do because he's one of the world's best fullbacks. But, you know, just something to muse on at, at some point, probably not in this key run-in, but maybe a pre season game. I uh, know a certain
1: journalist is very much in favour of trying it. Um,
0: I think you need to do it in a why not game, don't yes. you, really? But I mean the the, the thing is, is that it, I, the, the commentator was ridiculous. So Freddie She was lack of pace shown up by Randall, by the way. Great game, I thought, for Bristol, very, very dangerous. And it's great sidestep. M- Great sidestep on on Stewart, and it's not some bolts were good, which I've criticised him uh, for before as well. I thought he was very very good. Uh, great sidestep, but this is one of the quickest scrub halves in the league. You're covering across, he steps inside. You're, you're always fucked on that situation. It doesn't matter if you're Arundel or whoever. Um, and he said, "Oh, Stewart's lack of pace shown up." But I mean, look, he he isn't the quickest. He, I don't think he's slow, and I think it's grossly overplayed. But I do wonder, you know, he loves the physical stuff. I do wonder if it might be worth one day just giving him a little bit of a run at 12. Probably probably not this run in, but I, I agree with you. I think we've got Gopeth there, we've got Potter there, um, and I think, you know, hopefully Porter's not too far away. I think he should be back, hopefully, and, and hopefully it's not too bad with Scotty. He was walking on it, which is generally a good sign. So hopefully it won't be a long-term issue. Now, shall we go to th- some three-word reviews? Elliot, mate, what have you got? Yeah, there's
1: a couple of good ones. We said they're all good. Uh, so thank you very much for getting involved with it. So that's from me, Tom Pennington Um, who put fantastic team performance yeah i know it's sometimes a bit it's almost brilliantly simple but it was you know it sums it up massively every one of those players all 23 stood up got involved and stuck to it and got us to win every one of them contributed to it and it was an overall it was hard to pick out people to talk about um, because everyone contributed to the win so and there's quite a few we've not spoken about today who could have been applauded so yeah good one tom i
0: agree with that massively yeah, basically, just to counter that, because then I'm going to talk about an individual. Claire Weatherkins or Claire Hopkins uh, on Twitter says, uh, Pollard playmaking perfection. Nice use of all the Ps there, but absolutely correct. We've talked about it. The variety of the playmaking options he's providing at the moment. Guy who's enjoying his rugby, guy who's confident. It, it's so helpful for the team. It's markedly different how much better we look with him in the driving seat.
1: Yeah, and following on that theme, um, Edward Aranson, 1986, Pollard the Conductor. Um, exactly the same uh, vibes.
0: Excellent. And uh, Dan Bates gets in touch, very importantly. He says, momentum, right time. Yes. Oh, yes. Feels like we're building. And I still maintain, I don't think we are hitting all five gears just yet either. just time to dive into the ultimate pro era 15 where we were talking about inside centers Elliot now we, we need to caveat this by saying we were designed to record this on Sunday night for work reasons the poll doesn't actually close until tomorrow afternoon I I think we're okay to call it barring any sort of like last minute miraculous comeback yeah unless there's something dramatic happens uh, I think Pat Howard's got
1: this he's 65 up over Anthony Allen and I think we're safe to say this is probably going to be a Pat Howard victory um and I think that's probably the right call Um, Mm. probably the right call I think um as we said last week Pat Howard was pretty majestic in how he went about his business with us
0: yeah and uh I don't know did you get a chance to watch the video or you might have already seen it the one that I I sort of uh, tagged onto it for people who had not seen Pat Howard play
1: I've seen it a long time ago it is on a uh a wet, windy afternoon when I've got nothing on, I'm looking forward to putting it back on and, and enjoying watching it because it is a um, a good trip down memory
0: lane. Mark Durden-Smith is it's worth a watch for him because it's a very young, uh, yes, yeah, sort of no grays whatsoever, shiny, shiny chin somehow presenting it uh, in, a, in a pretty awful tie. I've got to say, but he presents it. Some interviews with John Wells, who might be the driest man who has ever walked to the earth, uh, and Dino as well. So you know, it's a lap a minute with those two. Uh, but then you've got Olsen to sort of like try and liven things up. But it is basically the Austin Healy and Pat Howard show um, that entire season. It is astonishing what they were doing.
1: Yeah, you missed out. Jono also provided the um, uh, the seriousness. Jono was the light-hearted one of uh, of that of that three. <laughs> to be fair, he came out looking like Jimmy Carr compared to John Wells and Dean Richards. Um, yeah. but no, it's a great. It is a great video, and it's some of the rugby is on show from Healy and Austin. Is, oh <laughs> healy and austin uh austin mm. and healy as well as howard uh was fantastic yeah it's a, it's a quality two and a half hour watch um of a great tigers team
0: it does actually raise a point where i think that we have a little bit of a complex at tigers where we always think oh you know people think we're just forwards focused i don't i think very rarely have we ever been completely forwards focused obviously we had a massively dominant pack which helped but if you look at the stuff the backs were doing there Um, you know, it's rugby from the gods. Absolutely incredible. So, you know, Anthony Allen, great player. Really glad he got a solid score of 35%, but it's definitely Pat Howard's shirt, the number 12 shirt. That is very nice. And it's going to be very interesting. because He's going to have a powerhouse regardless outside him in the 13 jersey. This one is very interesting. I know I say on most of these, this one
1: genuinely, I think is interesting because for the uh, homegrown, we'll we'll go homegrown first. We have got Manu Tuolagi, who is, as we know, a powerhouse. And then on the imports uh, side, we have the late great Sarah Rambini, who was a powerhouse and a majestic woman at that and was a tri-scoring machine. Either way, I ain't tackling either of them
0: because that hurts. <laughs> yeah, Pat Howard, you know, we'll say that he's manipulated some space, but really we've just, you know, sort of dived out of the way, effectively when the ball comes towards him. Yeah, so Pat Howard against... Uh, sorry, Pat Howard... Manu Lange against Rambetti. Um, I think that is really interesting because like, Tuilangi, you know, I still think of him as a great Leicester player. You know, he's part of that fantastic, yeah, family that, you know, generations now played at them. Uh, you know, played for the club, and but he was still a bit of an enigma throughout pretty much everything, apart from his breakthrough two seasons because of injury, and he was always the you know i suppose coin to some you know the dragon that you're chasing to try you know the magic dragon to try and get him on the pitch and everything will be all right and sometimes it was all right and sometimes it wasn't all right um and england have had the same thing with him it's you know the idea of manu was it sometimes better than manu actually was now we still occasionally saw him i mean in that first two seasons when he broke through yes he was raw but physically he was perfect he was unharmed and he was he was an absolute freak of nature and it's it's a shame because I think he's actually a more intelligent, far more intelligent player than he gets credit for. Now, I'd have liked to have seen you know him with you know those physical abilities and the mental ability he has now would have been really interesting. Rambetti was just outrageous, yeah. Because for a guy his size, it's his footwork that does it for me, and that's why he's got it over Manu. Is he had a step that would leave you breaking your own ankles? Um, absolutely wonderful player, tragically taken from us far too soon, um, and a tiger's hero in his own right. So, yo, know, I expect Manu to win. It's a fair vote, but yeah, it's a bit of a Fijian magic in uh, those boots that I'm tempted to fill. I'm tempted to lean towards Rambini here because,
1: he, like you said, that that ability to sidestep, and we talk about, the. I know we've got Alex Turulagi coming up in a future vote, and that premiership final in 07 is known as the Alex Tuolagi show. But Rambini was pretty dominant in that as well. I mean, he almost flies, weirdly flies under the radar. I don't know how a man of that size can fly under the radar at all. But he does fly under the radar a little bit of like, he was also causing more than enough problems. And do you remember when he first joined, he had like a like a try scoring streak of like six or seven in yeah. a row or something.
0: Yeah, it's, because we played him on the wing to start with, didn't we?
1: Yeah, and he was pretty good out there. I. It's a real tough one because I love Manu. But I... I, I I might. go I will have to think about this one because I'm really tempted by Rambini.
0: I think if you go for out and out, you know what they did in the Leicester shirt. It's really, really close. I think it's really close. It is. It is because
1: they were. They've both won titles. They've both won cups. Boy, this is tight. they are probably actually Manu probably played the same amount of games as Terry. Mm. I mean, I mean, because obviously it has been so injury impact. He probably played more, but it's not like a huge difference of way more games. I don't know. It's a real time. I'm fascinated to see how people go on this one, because I think a lot of people would be in a similar sort of thing of, oh boy, where do we go? Because Manu obviously is the sort of, I guess, the favorite.
0: Yes. But yeah.
1: Seru puts up such a strong shout. I think you end up. Yeah. I think people think about this one because I know I will. W- throw my hands up it's not an easy call for me i will have to think
0: about this one yeah and after that fantastic episode of fence sitting you'll be able to vote on it later on this week (laughs) we will put up we'll put up the twitter vote probably about on thursday so we'll reveal the results next week Now to look forward to the game on Friday at home. Matt Elywood, Welford Road, Friday Night Lights against Edinburgh. Very happy to be joined by, uh, this is absolute favouritism here, uh, personal one of my very good friends from a long, long time, uh, Mr Ian Naylor, who's also the author of the Casual Scottish Rugby blog, which which you've just started, by the way. So, yeah, you're welcome for the leg up.
2: Yeah, established, gosh, maybe 10 or 20 days ago. So it, it's it's pretty young. We've got uh, one follower on Twitter, because I have not been promoting it, and that follower is Mike Cooper. So there you go. <laughs> we get all the big names on here, Elliot, don't yeah, we? Yeah, 50% of my fan base is on this podcast. So that's
1: <laughs> good. Well, to be fair, it will be 100%. So as soon as this is done, I'll follow <laughs> and we'll take – you'll, you'll double your followers, literally. Yeah. Yeah, that's there, um, your advertising.
2: That's cash back.
0: Yeah. Mate, um, uh, why don't you – Tell us a little bit about the casual Scottish rugby blog first, and also yeah. how you're quite uniquely positioned, I suppose, for for this. I messaged you when it, the draw happened for Leicester against Edinburgh, and I said, "Well, this is brilliant because you're one of the, probably the very few people who is a diehard fan of both Tigers and Edinburgh." And then you replied to me very simply, saying, no, this is shit." Because, <laughs> <laughs> you um, so, yeah. what? What do you explain? Sort of, yeah, your your background and, and the the blog as well.
2: Yeah, so um, first question first, I suppose. The, the blog, yeah, it's called Casual Scottish Rugby. Um, I, I guess I, I made it because not that long ago I was a casual Scottish rugby fan. So my main team in any sport is is Scotland rugby and, you know, everything else feeds into that. But it was kind of just a loose following that I had. So I, I was one of those people who'd join or I'd start paying attention around the Six Nations, maybe for the Autumn Internationals summer, then a World Cup every every four years. But I, I didn't, I found it quite difficult to really engage in the conversations that we're having. Um, so, you know, who's on form, who's playing well, what does this mean? You know, why is everyone talking about, you know, Blair Kinghorn playing at 15 um, when he's a 10, you know, stuff like this. And just, I suppose I I thought there was maybe a gap uh, there to just basically have a a blog dedicated to the unashamedly casual Scottish rugby fan, yeah. And it suits my uh, suits my writing style because if anything yeah, isn't in there, if there isn't detail, it's just because it's for the casual audience, not because I'm inept.
0: That's good. It's good to get your excuse in early, but obviously <laughs> growing up in uh Leicester and ha- but hailing from Scotland as you can tell through the thick Scottish accents <laughs> that, 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 coming th- coming through your hi- earphones now but um y- that's that kind of I suppose allowed you to well you've I think you've always followed tigers. that I think has probably accelerated more as you've got more interested I suppose in more detail in rugby but also mirroring that your interest in Edinburgh has sort of crept up as well hasn't it?
2: Yeah, you're right. So the elephant in the room is I just have a generic English accent. Um, so I was born in Edinburgh, and then uh, we as a family moved down to Leicester uh, when I was five. Had a stint in Aberdeen, and then back down to Leicester when I was eight. Um, Be yeah, was under no illusions. My dad was quite clear. He was saying you are Scottish. When it, you know you, we'll move down to England, but you are Scottish and all this stuff. So. Most Scottish man in Leicester. Your dad. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, partic- particularly when he gets wound up, which is which by is you. a lot, yeah. yeah. By you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, by yeah. me. <laughs> uh,
2: yes. So, and and you're absolutely bang on. You know, as I said earlier, you know, I, when I say I like rugby, I basically just watch Scotland. Um, and then I got more and more into the club side of things. You know, um, I'd always liked Leicester, as you say, it's nowhere near as as big a fan as 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 you were and indeed are. Um, but you know, we'd be going to Welford Road's a fair bit back then and uh yeah so as I got more and more into the the rugby I got more and more into the understanding of it uh I was more interested in the teams that kind of fed the Scotland team so you've got obviously Glasgow and Edinburgh and I wanted to support one of them and the, you know it's an obvious choice uh given I was born in Edinburgh and you know, I've still got family there it was it was always going to be Always going to be there, and I, and I thought, do I want to be one of those guys who has two rugby teams? You know, because you know we're we're very uh, low down in the pecking order in terms of respect. um But I thought, well, you know, they're not going to play each other, are they? um Yeah, well, w- w- twice in the same year in the uh, in, the, in the, Je- the Heineken Cup, ages ago. 2007, then,
0: yeah, I think the club just did a post about it, and you know Andy yeah, Goode Tom Van and. Martin
2: Corrie rocking about. Yeah, and don't forget Phil Godman getting twelve of Edinburgh's seventeen points in in Murrayfield. Uh, Godders. Godders. Um, Yeah. So uh, it it just made a made a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, that's why I was a bit annoyed, should we say, when when it was happening because obviously in that game, if certain more or fewer points were scored, then it would have been a different outcome. And there was all this talk about. You know, had had the had the orders from upstairs, got down to the pitch, and it turned out they had. And Mike Blair was just going to take it, and and so they, they kicked the ball out. But it meant that uh, Edinburgh had to play Leicester, which is, um, yeah, difficult.
0: Yeah, because that was. I remember seeing that. Everyone was going, "What are you doing?" When the ball got yeah. kicked out, they looked mad, and you'd have liked to think some sort of on. On-field brains might have kind of like clicked what they needed to do, but regardless of that, um, Edinburgh this season, yeah, um, bit of an enigma.
2: Very different to the Edinburgh of last season. Um, Last season looking great. This season, it's admittedly been quite good in the um, Champions Cup. It's been pretty abject actually in the URC um, United Rugby Championship, and I mean basically had the 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 nail in the coffin for the for the uh, next stage of it uh, with the horrible result against Connacht the other day, uh, 41-26 loss. In fact, Edinburgh have conceded 130 points in the last three games uh, and have scored 67. But it's, I mean, obviously that's bad, but I, I think it's probably the nature of the losses because I mean, one thing that's, you know, consistently going around uh, the press, fans, everyone is this is a good team. These are good players. Like even with the Six Nations break, you know, they're still putting out, you know, Argentinian internationals. You know, like Emiliano Befelli, I think, was one of the best players in rugby in 2022. You've got Bill Matter, you know, playing number eight, making yards. But, you know, you can't just blame it on. You know, obviously, admittedly, huge players like Duhan, Richie, Watson, and so on, not playing. But you know, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be shipping average forty-three points a game in the last three. Um, and like I say, the nature of it, I think, might play into Leicester's hands a bit because the defence has been quite passive. Um, up front is looking a bit concerning again, despite the fact that you know, these good players. And you know, watching. Watching Leicester's game at the weekend, I mean, I mean, how many of the tries were just driving, driving malls, you know? And, uh, and I think Leicester may seek to to capitalise on that.
1: When you look at your um, the Edinburgh team, um, Ian, obviously you have got very much it's almost chalk and cheese effect where you've got so many internationals coming back, whereas Leicester have, you know, by England standards, have quite a lot. But compared mm. to Edinburgh, it's obviously, it's probably half. I mean, you look at the Edinburgh side with all the internationals they've got coming back and you look at the team that went down to Saris in the Champions Cup and, and gave that a real good go and, and took them mm. apart at Edinburgh as well. It, is, it almost seems like there is very much two teams here, Edinburgh with uh, the Scottish internationals and Edinburgh without. How much of an impact do you think those boys coming back will have in this, in around the squad and on obviously the game this weekend?
2: So you're, you are right. Yeah. Um... I don't know if you uh, if you follow Scottish rugby press very closely, but they make a big deal, and rightly so, I think, I would say this, about the small player pool, only two professional clubs, which means, you know, if Edinburgh and Glasgow uh, have, I mean, they, let, let's call it half of their team each go off to, to Scotland, uh, it's very unique. Um, but, you know, I guess I would say Edinburgh did quite well last season Um and, and had the same issue with with the with the international calendar, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you would certainly hope that these players would have a huge impact. And actually, the the player whom I'm most excited about from an Edinburgh perspective is Darcy Graham, who isn't necessarily coming back from international. I mean, he was he was in the squad, but um, you know didn't recover from his knee injury in time, but did play uh, in the most recent game, was marked out of the game quite well. I think they definitely had a had an approach there. Um, but, you know, if if he's on form, I mean, he's he's been out for months. He was he one is, of the
0: form wingers in Europe before he got injured. Yeah, they, and he yeah. they flew under the radar. He was astonishing in, in the Autumn Internationals. Well,
2: and, and some very sensible people were saying he's probably the best winger in the world on form. Now, I don't know if I'd go that far, but he's certainly getting so much better and just seemingly nothing he can't do. Uh, you know, this is a guy who can... You know, watching uh, Matt Hansen do all his jackals uh, in in the in the Six Nations, Darcy Graham can do that as well. He's he's a strong boy, and obviously he can step anyone. Um, he stepped Lou Lou in a post box against against Wales last year. Um, a game Scotland went on to lose, and I was furious. Um, but yeah, I, I think if if Edinburgh can get him on the ball, you know, he like I say, he he was injured for a few months. And is still the URC's second top try scorer. Despite that, uh, he's he's absolutely so, brilliant.
0: So, uh so uh, when you start talking about some of the players there, this is what kind of like dents my you know utmost confidence. We're all feeling very happy after beating Bristol. And your names of the players. <laughs> so you have to pick a back three out of duham van der Merwe, mm-hmm. um, Darcy Graham and Betheli as well. Yeah. And is it uh, Ollie Smith, the 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 lesser Ollie Smith, I should say, at fullback, is it?
2: Ollie Smith uh, plays for Glasgow.
0: Oh, there you go. Uh, that's my research. Yeah, yeah. We'll edit that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Uh, yeah. How do you? How do you fit those three then into the? Because um, unless you are f- make it, play fullback, are you?
2: Yeah, that's it. Um, and, and I'd say that is probably the ultimate back three. I think the back three at the moment is is you know settled. If Darcy, Doohan, and Buffelli are all fit. If you look
1: at um, Edinburgh in terms of their strengths and their weaknesses, what would you say is their um, sort of go to strength in terms of how they go about winning, te-
2: beating teams and winning games of rugby? Well, it's hard to say at the moment because they're not winning games of rugby. Um, <laughs> it's It's been pretty, pretty bad. Um, I mean, I. It was starting, certainly starting to feel like the the way to score tries was to get it out to Darcy. Um, then he got injured, and you know I was looking at uh, some stats and a graph the other day, and you know the average try count quite notably went down after he, he got injured. And it's it's just very tricky at the moment to put put a finger on what exactly is going wrong. Um, you know, Mike Blair himself after the eighteen seventy two Cup, so that's that's when uh, Edinburgh and, and Glasgow play each other um around kind of christmas time uh, new year um he lost it to to glasgow uh, keeping the theme of of losing um and he just he basically came out He was a very honest guy and said I, I don't know what's going wrong um and that kind of seems to be a consistent theme this should be a good team you know it, it should be beating scarlets not losing 42 14 with all due respect to to scarlets
1: Yeah, I find it fascinating because when we played away at Ospreys, me and the old man went to the game uh, and we sat in a pub in Swansea watching um, Edinburgh away at um, Saracens and Mm. couldn't help but feeling really, really impressed with how Edinburgh took the game to Saracens and almost played Saracens off the park. And there was a couple of moments where, you know, the bounce of a ball or a bad decision in terms of a pass, or I think Edinburgh blew a complete uh, tapping of a try I managed to 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 nose that one up into the game. Sort of changed on that because Sayers went up the other end and yeah. um and, and got the try. But after that, we we watched the game. And we both went. Edinburgh look a side to avoid. You know, if we get through into the competitions, when obviously we drew Edinburgh, both of us, are, both me and my <laughs> old man, text each other, go, great because we get a new team, bad because we get a team that look a handy outfit. So I find it, I just find it fascinating that from going from that at the mid November, end of November, start yeah. of December. So here we are now. You're talking so, um, you know, so negatively about them. I just find it fascinating to drop off in that time.
2: Yeah, and and again, the I mean, the Champions Cup form has been quite good. Um, you know, e- e- as as you've touched upon, even the loss to Saracens was was fine. I've got a feeling at that point, Saracens were at, then unbeaten in the in the Prem. Took them, took them close. Lost by four points away. That's that's good. And then, you know, obviously beat them uh, in in Edinburgh, which I think by that point Sarries had only been beaten once in the Prem. So you know, this is this is a quality outfit. Um, and then yes, there were the two two wins home and away against Cast, um, you know, okay French opposition, but you know, still you know, quality outfit. So I mean, I guess the only thing that's maybe making me think that this could be a little break from the URC form is, is the Champions Cup form. Um, you know, three wins out of four is, is not bad. One of the losses being a close one to Saracens, you know, even even, even better. Um, I, I guess that's maybe what the motivation will be, that, look, forget the URC form. You know, the URC isn't happening now. This is it. This is all there is to, to focus on. We've got all these players coming back, Schumann, Richie Watson um dohan obviously nearly forgot him uh and you know this is it you know we're, we're playing for the season um but obviously you've then got a a leicester team back on form uh really powerful up front scary you know got some got some horrible blokes in that pack and beautiful blokes uh, be- beautifully horrible um that that could sum up yes with Easter in a way i guess mm. uh I mean, is it is completely guy.
0: typical that Dustin Visa sort of off the pitch is a god-fearing, oh, you know, kind of like so quiet. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Nice so lovely. Edmund. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Probably does a lot of baking, bake sales and stuff like that, yeah. and then murders people on the pitch. <laughs> I, I I think it's gonna be really interesting how Leicester approaches. I've got a feeling that we might double down against Edinburgh on the tight game. You know, you just start listing firstly, you have to appreciate with Scotland uh with Edinburgh and Glasgow providing the majority of the scottish side the the dna isn't entirely different from scotland down to edinburgh in terms of how they want to play at their best which is it it is at Mm. fast pace it is with a bit more width if i look at that edinburgh team the one area where i think well we might be able to get a little bit of a nudge on it is in the tight game mauling being really physical in the set piece um you know schumann is is very is great around the park he's not a bad scrummager i do think Mm. that uh, you know, if you've got those uh, up uh, against Coley and Hayes, that's sort of a double team of very, very good scrummaging tight ends as well. Uh, I think that what works against Bristol in the second half is what we might try to employ here. It's yeah. not going to be pretty, but my God, I do not want the ball going to that back three now we've listed it off. I don't want it anywhere near them. I don't want, I want Blair Kinghorn to register three touches all game.
2: Yeah. Okay. I do, Han. Can just, uh, Duhan doesn't even get
0: near it. He's a spectator. He's in the terrace.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He'll start picking it up around rucks and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy's beaten his own Six Nations defenders beaten record. You know, he's obviously just a specimen. Um, you know, as as viewers before the um, Scotland Wales game may have seen. You know, he's he's got quite an emotional connection to uh, to Scotland and Edinburgh, despite a. Brief stint in Worcester, shall we say? Um, you know, he's he's just a class act. Um, so yeah, he's obviously insanely dangerous. Um, but, you know, in terms of the scrummaging, you know, if WP Nell or Vape uh, Nell is fit, um, you know, he was on the bench, I believe, against Scarlet. Uh, sorry, against Connacht. He's a very good scrummager. Um, I'd be less worried about the scrums for now. Certainly in the first. Few stages of the games, you know, while the you know you got Scoumane and Nell on maybe, but it's more about that rolling the rolling wall <laughs> mm-hmm. that I'm uh, that I'm worried about from an Edinburgh perspective. But it'll be uh, it'll be a spectacle from a from a Leicester one because I mean, yeah, some of some of the some of the displays against Bristol were just very very encouraging.
0: Let's talk predictions, Elliot. What are you feeling for this one? Ian's got me suited to be worried by just name-dropping left, right and centre. Well, to be <laughs> honest, I was in a similar sort of mindset in terms of I'm not, I say, fairly wary of the, the
1: dangers that Edinburgh have. You know, you look at the names that they've got coming back in. You have to respect it. You I know, mean, you've got that many internationals. You know, Scotland have had a good Six Nations. they played well. They they were on good, in good form. They're confident. They're playing a good style of rugby. That will translate itself back into the Edinburgh... So I get the feeling from what Ian's been saying and you look at the results, they're probably targeting the, the, the Champions Cup. I think it's a real good test for our boys. And I think it's a real good test for where we are coming off the back of the last five weeks um, in a row. So I really wanted to take it seriously. I wanted to, us to pick a serious team and not mess around with any um, sort of rotation policy. I wanted us to go full bore and, and to really get us through and, and get our boys used to playing big games. So I think we're at home. That obviously is a massive factor for us. So I think Leicester... I think Leicester by 10 to 15. I think this last 20 minutes, I think we might break Edinburgh in that last 10, 15 minutes. I think by the power game, I think we'll just take your legs away and and, and get over the line in that sort of last 15.
0: Ian, that was pretty punchy by Elliot. Uh what do you what do you think? Because I mean, it's a strange balance, I suppose, between Edinburgh's mm. systemic current form, which is their mm. systems aren't working, and then the pure quality that they're dropping back in. Can that fix things, you know, like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make for good podcasting, but I, I do agree with basically everything Elliot just said. Uh, it's kind of the, when you're predicting football scores, it's it's the 2-1 cop-out, isn't it, in a way of just, you know, Edinburgh will be in it for a while and then, you know, Leicester will uh, streak ahead. But I think that's it. I mean, I had 14 points in my head where, when, because I thought you might be asking me that question. I was thinking about it on the tube here. And uh, so that's within the, within the range you said, Elliot, I think, wasn't it?
0: Ah, very good. Yeah, I'm gonna say not quite as punchy. I think that we might sort of move ahead in the last course, but five to ten, it depends how much damage those mutants yeah. in your back three have done um by that point. So we'll see. Uh Naila, yeah. sorry, Ian. Um it is uh, great to have you on, particularly before you're about to play some touch footy. Um best of luck this evening and thank you very much for uh, joining us.
2: You're most welcome. Thank you very much for for having me on. I just I'll say as well, you know, I don't like being nice to you, Mike, but you know it's a it's a great job you've both done with with this you know i think i'm very impressed um you know that the the freddie burns and neil back gets were particularly impressive and keep up the good work guys
0: that brings us to the end of this week's podcast thank you very much for listening sorry we prattled on a bit we we're very excited obviously about a fantastic win against bristol uh just quick shout out to matthew wilson who gave us the name for this podcast which we've uh unashamedly stolen i think i went for skewered lamb before in one of the previous podcasts and he's now come up with silence of the lamb uh which i'm delighted to be able to steal and use for this pod so thank you very much matthew for the rest of you have a great week and we'll catch up next time